Hi, I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor, and uh, welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, if you're not familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a podcast wherein Kyle and I take turns introducing one another to films, and uh, in this way we help each other to catch up on our cinema. Uh, so it is August 2019, and for the first time ever, Kyle has handed me the reins uh, for the programming selections this month. Uh and I decided to go ahead and use this entire month to uh, explore the world of anime. Uh, that would be a Japanese animation. So I guess you can call this Anime August here at Catching Up on Cinema. Um, a big reason why I decided I wanted to do this is because when I when I first met Kyle um, and we first started talking about movies and stuff, uh, he expressed interest in anime, um, but he also expressed some like trepidation about it. Uh, he sounded kind of lost about it. He didn't really know where to start. He didn't really know what was good and what had a good reputation. But he expressed some genuine interest. So I, you know, I started trying to point him in the right direction. Um, I recommended him a couple of the the heavy hitters out there. Uh, Akira being like the number one recommendation because I figured I should start him off the same way I started. Uh, and a lot of other people in my age range. But um, Akira is like yo. the... Uh, Akira is like the... Uh, Citizen Kane of anime, I would say. Would would you would you agree with that? Um, I'm not sure if that's a accurate assessment because I know Citizen Kane from top to bottom is you know a, a work of quality. Um, like in terms of script, in terms of cinematography, editing, everything about it, performances. It's it's a stellar film. Akira is intensely flawed <laughs> from a storytelling standpoint. Very true. Um, that'll. That Kyle, have you ever seen what the, like what the manga in print form looks like for Akira? Like, have I, you ever seen physical books of it? No, I have not. Okay, well, uh, it's about like half the width of my desk in terms of page count. <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> so they took most of that and tried to compress it into a two-hour animated film. You can't do that. Um, they gave it their best shot. They cut out huge chunks from the comic because um, obviously you have to. But the fact of the matter is what we got is essentially like lights with sound. Okay. Um, from an animation and an audio standpoint, it's remarkable. Like it's still gorgeous to this very day. Um, there, are fe- there are very few animated features that can stand up to its level of quality. Um, but in terms of overall quality of production, it's got some issues. <laughs> Um, gotcha. But here, here in the in the U.S. though, I feel like it was um, what was the what was the line they used in a uh, in the shark is still working. Uh, Kevin Smith in regards to Percy Rodriguez. It, it was the the weed to the crack yeah. that was anime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was the gateway drug for a lot of folks here in the West because um, in the late '80s, especially, uh, anime was basically violent cartoons. At least that was the perception of it. It was it was cartoons for adults and, and nothing quite measured up to that in that, that category. That's the only reason that sparked my interest in it because all I knew of anime was like oh Dragon Ball Z and stuff like that. And then somebody mentioned like oh no dude they've got like porn and they have bloody gruesome violence and I'm like oh I did not know that I thought it was all just cartoons. <laughs> Interesting. Hook me up with some of that anime. I want to see, but because yeah, of the violence, uh, because so of the it, violence. <laughs> Not it, the yeah, yeah. Backpedal a bit. <laughs> um, 
So it goes without saying that I think the second film that I had you watch was a Ninja Scroll. Yeah. <laughs> because Ninja Scroll's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> I really it's enjoy truly, Ninja Scroll. It's truly awesome. Um but yeah, I for this month I'm I'm treating the programming as as kind of like a I don't know, an introduction to anime. So I've taken special care to make selections not really based on my personal taste. Like we're not going to just be I'm not just going to be jerking myself off and, like, making you watch all the stuff I like. I don't want to watch you jerk off. That's good. <laughs> yeah, nobody does. Um, I know I have a webcam going, but uh, it's not for that purpose. I swear. If um, anybody cuts it <laughs> off, it was an accident. <laughs> exactly. It's, oh, shit, I left it plugged in. <laughs> God damn it, Kyle. For a while, it's plugged in. But yeah, the the point this month is I'm I'm basically trying to give Kyle a very good introduction to the medium. Uh, so I've taken very special care to pick pick films with very good reputations, but more importantly, films from a variety of directors with very different styles. So I'm not not feeding you the same shit every week over and over and over again. I'm trying to give you something different and give you a very like comprehensive overview of. I guess anime through the 90s and early 2000s because that's mostly where my background with it it stems from uh i kind of broke up with anime <laughs> like at some point in the mid 2000s i just got like i became super saturated with it to the point that uh you had a turning point there's at, did you reach that turning point where you're like i can either be an otaku or i can be a functioning member of society and you're like you know what I like having sex with girls. I'm going to go with functioning member of society. <laughs> uh, a little bit. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of, that's one of my things as a person is that I, I, I don't have it in me to go 100% all in on almost anything I do. Um, and I have friends that, that I guess do qualify as otaku. Like they definitely fit the, the profile, at least from an aesthetic standpoint. But uh, yeah, I don't have that in me. And same with like superhero comics. Like, around the time the Marvel movies really, really, really started to take off was around the time I divorced myself from comics. Just, I don't know. It's like, I, I, I consumed enough of this, and now I think I'm at a point where it's like, I think I'd like to give back a little something, which is part of why I'm doing this podcast with you, is it's my way of giving a little something back to the medium that I love. Um, but yeah, the very first movie, uh, well, it's not, even a, it's not even a movie, it's yeah. actually a... a a type of product that is in fact unique to anime. Uh, it's called an OVA, uh, Original Video Animation. Um, basically, it's a uh, direct-to-video animation. Um, it's the equivalent of those uh, DCs, uh, DC like Warner Brothers animated movies you see. Oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Like those are not. It's that. the equivalent of that. Or, except uh, the major, the major difference is Japanese ones tend to have unusual run times, like forty-five minutes or so. Because they know how to keep Whereas it concise. The, Unlike Americans, they're like, we got to have it two and a half hours for what the fuck ever reason. Yeah, uh, they, they definitely gun for like feature length all the time with American animations. But OVAs typically are like 45 minutes or like 38 minutes. Some oblong number that, you know, you can get away with that because you're not screening it on television. So you don't have to worry about like commercial breaks and things like that. So it doesn't have to be like the standard 26 minutes or one hour block of time. Um, and personally, I think most of my favorite Japanese animations are OVAs. It's a it's a lovely format because it's it's a 
removed from traditional like censorship and stuff so they they tend to be able to get away with a a lot more crazy shit and like you said it they tend to be more concise um with like a 38 or a 45 minute runtime uh, you get better animation quality in a shorter amount of time so the the pace tends to be very very efficient we're also hand drawing we're hand drawing all this stuff too correct yes yeah in this era absolutely yeah Keep it concise. We don't. We can't do two hours. Like fuck. That's a lot of drawing we have to do. Well, and also remember, these original video animations tended to be produced by smaller animation houses, or at mm. least up and coming animation houses. So these were a lot of times like passion projects on some level. Um, so in terms of budget, they usually didn't have that much to work with. Uh, so they had this was like labor of love type shit where it's like what what ended up on the screen was the best we could fucking do like staying up all night for months on end or whatever um so yeah the the first episode of anime august is devoted to a ova called uh, otaku no video uh, produced by the animation house gainax uh, which is most famous for um evangelion of course uh that's one of those big, big, big name '90s anime, Kyle. That you've you've probably seen in some fashion, but you just kind of disregarded it. Most likely, uh, it's impossible to complete. It's impossible to completely avoid. You've touched it in some fashion. In fact, you've seen one hour photo, right? Yes. Robin uh, Williams. The action figure that the yeah the action figure that the the boy uh, buys from Wal the equivalent of Walmart mm-hmm. is from that anime. In fact, they even say the name in the show, in the movie. I mean, uh, it's kind of funny. It's like, I wonder if anyone got paid. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. Otaku no video uh, was directed by uh, Takeshi Mori. Um, it's not a name, not a household name in, in anime as far as I'm concerned. Um, but the reason I picked this one isn't that it's like a shining example of like quality in the world of animation it's just the subject matter i thought would be a, a good way to kick things off um so speaking of which uh kyle like i guess we should both give a little bit of a rundown uh in regards to our our familiarity or our, our background with anime um so how about you start like when you were a kid were you familiar with this stuff was it something you dabbled in or what yeah, so um, at a very young age, I hated anime. Um, I didn't like the animation, personally. Uh, I, I Pokemon, I, is Pokemon considered anime? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. okay. It was huge. I didn't really get into Pokemon. My brother really got into Dragon Ball Z. I couldn't get into it. Um, basically, when they were really popular on television, I was getting out of cartoons, so I just never really got into it. And as I got older, I don't think I've watched a single... I think the the only thing that I've probably seen was in Kill Bill, when we're introduced to Lucy Liu's character. There's some um, animation, some Japanese animation there. Um, yeah. Other than that, the only... Until I watched Akira, I haven't really... I have not dabbled at all. And the reason why I mentioned earlier was I was curious about it was because I always just associated it with, like, uh, just kid stuff. Dragon Ball Z... Um, there was there was another one. There was another show. Uh, I can't think of it. I can't think of it off the top of my head. But it was popular right around the time of Dragon Ball Z. Um, Is it Gundam? Or yeah. Sailor Moon. There we go. Yep. There you go. Both of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So yeah, I just uh, I I didn't really care for the animation style personally. Growing up with American cartoons and especially with Nickelodeon, like there were so many different there were so many different kinds. Like um, I really liked um, like Ren and Stimpy. I was uh, Avril Monsters, Rugrats. They had a very uh, particular style, and it was just the the animation that I didn't care for in anime because it's it, across the board. It, it it's the same i would say like it you know it's on ebay like they all have a very it has a familiar look to it whereas i was used to american cartoons that were very different in their animation style it's funny you mention that because i think that a lot of that had to do with timing um because ren and stimpy and our real monsters and to a lesser extent rocco's modern life those those shows were you know 90s american cartoons and uh they were very anarchic in their approach to the medium. Like mm-hmm. Some of the things they were doing, especially in like Ren and Stimpy, like some of the, the macro shots they would mm-hmm. do were like very obviously like painted with a completely different style. Um, shows like SpongeBob a little later would incorporate like live action footage out of just out of the blue. Um, I think that just came from that era in, in our country in particular. Like, that's just where we were in terms of art where, you know, it was, it was the 90s, man. Like, everything was radical and, <laughs> and <Yeah>. grungy. <laughs> it's like, let's tear down all the walls and, like, there's no limits to what we can do in animation. So, fuck it. Let's just do whatever. As um, opposed to, like, obeying a character sheet and being like, no, Snow White has these proportions for every frame of every shot. It's like, no, fuck it. Like, <laughs> I'm going to have Ren's face on the other side of the on the other side of the screen when he turns his head just because fuck it. Yeah, fuck. And like same with Ninja Turtles, it's like, shit, we forgot to record all of Leonardo's lines. Fuck it, let's just have the guy that does Donatello's voice speak for him today. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Big fan of uh, Batman the Animated Series too. Uh, I'd say that's the probably the number one from that. From I think that started in the late '80s, maybe, but uh, definitely '90s. Yeah, I could be wrong, but um, I think the animation house that worked on that show did uh, the Big O later on a Japanese show that mm. has a very similar look and feel to it. It has that same gothic, like, uh-huh. art deco style to it. But it's funny you, you cite, like, Pokemon and Dragon Ball because those examples of anime are, like... Um, Dragon Ball, for sure, is, like, the consummate, like, shonen story. Like, shonen meaning, like, young boys story. Mm-hmm. And those that type of story is typified by being... Um, like serialized in such a way that like the story just gets stretched the fuck out because typically it's told via like a weekly manga or something Mm -hmm. and so the person who the people who are cranking out these comics on the weekly they're cranking out chapters like every fucking week so they gotta hustle so they they basically have to pace things out so exactly one thing happens every episode (laughs) um and if you translate that to television it results in like really 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 economical animation where it's like okay we we have 26 minutes to fill uh we need to have exactly one thing happen today and then we just gotta get to the next one so the pace of like both pokemon and dragon ball i'm sure like if the aesthetics didn't appeal to you then the pace would just like be absolutely crushingly boring (laughs) 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 but as we'll see that's not all that anime is and on um I mean, just to say a little something about my background with the medium, uh, basically been exposed to it my whole life. Um, like my mom's side of the family in Hawaii, like I remember my cousin had, I think they, I think they showed Dragon Ball Z 
like subtitled just on like local television in Hawaii. Because uh, my cousins, like, he just had tapes of it, like, a few years before we got it over here, like, in the on the mainland. And I remember him, like, showing me and my brother some of them, and it was pretty fucking amazing. Hmm. And then I saw, like I, like, I remember my cousin, my other cousin on the other side of the family, he, I think my brother convinced him to rent Akira for us when I was, like, five or six or something. And holy shit, that made an impression. <laughs> like that stuck. That will forever stick with me because I was far too young to to be exposed to that. But holy shit, every there's so many shots and sounds and just the look and the feel of that will forever stick with me. It's a huge source of my own like creative inspiration. So even though it is an intensely flawed film, it's very very important to me. Um. And then, yeah, like, all through middle school and high school, I was into the Dragon Ball and the Gundam, like, not just Gundam Wing, but, like, the entire fucking series. Like, I got really into it. And especially in high school, I had a friend who was doing, like, the BitTorrent before the BitTorrent kind of stuff, like, Emule and, like, Kazaa and shit. <laughs> and he he was essentially, like, one of the people we see in this Otaku no video movie where... Uh, he he had like a network of of tapes and stuff flowing to him and in fact he was like subtitling his own stuff and i hung out with him a lot and we all just like hung out in the basement played video games and watched anime so uh, i guess you could say i i touched this world in some fashion <laughs> even though i didn't oh even though i didn't open the door i did like diddle the the doorknob a little bit <laughs> <Diddle the> doorknob. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so it, i'm I haven't really paid much attention to anime since like the mid 2000s though so like uh if anyone out there is listening and is you know vibrating in their seat freaking out about gross inaccuracies about the things I'm talking about uh feel free to drop a comment or something or hit me up on the Twitter cuz I'd love to hear about it love to hear how how much of a lying sack of shit I am <laughs> only criticize Trevor I don't care about your tears <laughs> <laughs> That being said, uh, I guess we should get to it. Um, so, Otaku no Video, it's a two-part OVA series. Um, I think that the heading is like 1982 and 1985 or something. But um, our, I believe the animation begins in 1991, um, and we meet the, the guy who's going to become our hero. Uh, he's asleep at an office. I think Is it like Christmas Day or something? It's like New like Year's. New Year's? It, it, it's definitely right around New Year's. Yeah, and he's asleep at the office. It's empty, but he answers the phone, and it's just, it's just some super nerd calling and like asking when something's gonna come out. And he hangs up the phone, and he's just like, "Oh my god, freaking otaku!" And that's like our our introduction to, to this term. Like, if you're not familiar with what otaku means, I forget if we've mentioned it already, but uh, basically, it means fanatic. Um, it doesn't necessarily specifically pertain to anime and manga and stuff, or not even just nerdy things. It's uh, just means that you're you're way too obsessed with one thing. Um, so you could be really obsessed with football. You could be really obsessed with model trains. You could be really obsessed with the theater. Um, if you're if you're into it too much to the point that it like affects your social life, <laughs> um, you could qualify as an otaku in some regard. Um, and then we get an opening theme song, which was 
fucking amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed this. We get to hear it twice. Uh, what did you think of that, Kyle? Oh, I wrote it down, 80s-style opening credits. It is. That's what I want our show opener to sound like. We, Fuck we, yes! To this point, we still don't have a theme, but it's hard. I don't know of anybody that does this kind of stuff. Oh, I, I know. Like we we gotta find somebody because um, I've been saying it for ages now. Like if I was a filmmaker, um, I would find a way to have all of my movies have a self-titled theme song. Oh yeah, meaning a song that bear, that bears the same title as the movie. Yeah. So like Rock Lobster would have a would have the song Rock Lobster, and <laughs> like like Over the Top would have. The song "Over the Top" by Sammy Hagar in it. No um, country for old men. That would be that would definitely be a folk song. Yeah, but you would see if I directed "No Country for Old Men," I would find a way to slip in a song called "No Country for Old Men" in there. You could probably do a better job um, than those Cohen brothers on that "No Country for Old Men." <sighs> oh yeah, they're a couple of losers. They don't so, know their. They don't know how to tell stories. A guy, a guy I work with, asked me the other day. He's like, "You ever seen No Country for Old Men?" I'm like, "Okay, you want to talk." You want to talk No Country for Old Men? <laughs> we can do that. You started it. We can definitely talk No Country for Old Men because that's my favorite movie villain of all time is Anton Chigurh. I'm picturing you like pulling a rag out of your pants and just slapping it on the table. It's like, oh, you want to talk about No you Country for Old Men? The- let me let me hitch up my pants and I'll tell you about No Country for Old Men. Sit down. <laughs> Someone put on some coffee. Yeah. <laughs> put on a pot of coffee. We're yeah. talking No Country oh. for Old Men. Before we get going, I gotta tell you something. Um, I uh, had Steph catch up on the movie Seven. She had never seen it, and I it was super rainy where we were at. And I'm like, you know what? It's a good time for Seven. I'm not allowed to pick movies for a while. She uh, oh. <laughs> she she thought it was good, but <laughs> poor thing, she's just not a cinephile. So she likes you know bright and poppy movies, happy movies, rom coms, musicals, and stuff like that. And I gave her a dose of the fucking real world with some seven. So, uh, yeah. I'm a <laughs> oh, what did you do to that poor girl, Kyle? <laughs> she should have to see it. She should have to see it. Oh, you just you, you broke her. I mean, yeah. I'm curious, Kyle. Um, when, uh, what's his face? Uh, Leland. Le- Leland Orser. Um, when when he uh, has his little uh, situation with the, the uh, yeah. strap on. Yeah. Uh, what was the reaction? It took her. I was. That's one of the first thing I mentioned when I told somebody at work. I'm like, yeah. Uh, it. I was su- surprised at how long it took her to like put two and two together. Like, she's like, wait, did what? he? Did did she? She what? figured it out because she was just like, wait a second. She's like, holy, oh my gosh. I'm like, yeah, uh huh. I'm like, this is the scariest uh... movie I've ever seen, Steph. And it's not a horror movie. It's because this is the most one of the most fucked up movies of all time. Oh, well, I'm sorry. Commercially, what was I say? commercially successful fucked up movies of all time because there are definitely some way more fucked up movies out there um sloth yeah. that she jumped i was waiting for it too i was just like oh she's gonna, <laughs> and she jumped like, you weren't expecting that were you well because i so this is actually i um I, I realized why i kind of brought this up was that you mentioned that when you were young like you like you've Akira made a making it made an impression on you because uh, you're like oh, this yeah. is a movie I shouldn't have oh, seen yeah. I was too young I'm like the movies I watched when I were too when I was too young was seven and like Terminator Terminator Two Alien Aliens like these are movies that I watched very 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 young and uh, so cartoons were kind of like eh, I don't need that I'm uh, I'm on this, I'm on some other shit because uh, I watched seven before I was ten basically. Uh, 
Okay. Oh, funny story. Um, I was at like a a family dinner in Hawaii when I was really young, probably like. Th- three like three to five years old or something and i'll never forget this um so all the kids were pushed upstairs it's like okay like all the older folks we're gonna be watching a movie you get upstairs you you play with your ninja turtles or whatever yeah and like I, me and some of the the cousins or whatever we ran down the stairs and it was just just at the right time when uh ed 209 is blowing that guy away in robocop oh gosh <laughs> and we're just like I saw that when I was too young. I, my, my parents, I don't know what it was about censoring movies in the 90s. Like, my parents, they're like, if there was sexual content, they're like, we well, boys don't need to be watching this. But, like, people getting blown away. We saw Saving Private Ryan in the theater, for Christ's sake. I mean, oh, fuck. I mean, that's got two really, really, really heavy deaths in it. I mean, it was for somebody, I think, I was like 10 when that came out. I'm pretty sure. It came out in 99, didn't it? 98, maybe. Oh, fuck, yeah. I mean, we saw that at the drive-in. I remember. Yeah, first R-rated movie I saw in the theater was Starship Troopers, and uh, yeah, it was like ninety-seven, ninety-eight, and yeah, that was a that was an R-rated movie. Yeah. <laughs> co-ed showers. I love co-ed showers. That is that is an interesting concept. Co-ed, like, oh yeah, I don't know. We we don't have time to be going into separate locker rooms and stuff like that. Everybody just shower together. No, that's what that's what happens when you have a European director. He's like, fuck it. Everybody's nude. Everybody's nude. <laughs> All right, everybody. YOLO. Uh, All right. <laughs> so, um, you should explain one that. thing that I'm not. Oh, I was going to say, you should probably explain like how this is set up. Because this is a, I was very confused going into this. I wasn't entirely sure what was going on uh, at okay, first. Okay, so the, the gimmick um, with this OVA, with Otaku no Video, is a, uh, Basically, we have a fairly linear and actually pretty simple story about a a couple of young entrepreneurs wanting to get into the the anime industry, and they they go about it in a bit of a roundabout fashion, but they do it. Um, the gimmick, though, is that it's semi like autobiographical, um, because the studio that produced this, I mentioned up up top, was a uh, Gainax, and this is actually very similar to the story of how Gainax came together, except for the Jilted Lover thing. <laughs> um, but basically, Gainax was a company that that was a merging of two companies, one of which produced garage kits, like resin figures, and, and a small animation company. And they came together and they became like an animation powerhouse. In fact, some of the founders of Gainax are some of the, the heaviest of heavy hitters in the Japanese film industry right now. Um, but Along the way, we have these interludes that are framed as as segments called uh, Portrait of an Otaku. And basically, it's like live-action interviews with people that are, uh, I guess, self-professed uh, otaku in some regard. And usually, they find a way to tie in the, the interview footage with the narrative that we've been following in animated form. And... Uh, and so it just goes along in this rhythm where we, we follow the story of this, our main character Kubo and his friend Tatanka, and then we cut to these scenes of interview footage of Otaku, and it kind of paints a picture of, of this subculture and, and what these people are like as individuals. 
Um, and then we have a lot of, I think, phony statistics that actually they, made yeah. you giggle a few times. It, fe- it felt like <laughs> propaganda, honestly, because I'm like, these aren't, these were not sponsored studies. And he's just like, everybody, a hundred percent claim that, uh, um, that a hundred percent of the Americans claim that they were interested in anime. I'm just like, that's not a real statistic. Also, the subtitles for the American guy in this are not what he's saying. Like they're yeah, they're definitely you, you can it hear up. him. Yeah. You can hear him a little bit, and he he's not saying any of the things that, no. are, that are on the screen. No. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, we get our opening sequence. It's a magnificent song. You should look it up if you have any interest in like super bombastic like 80s anime openers. Uh, there's a few references here. Um, there's a character, a, a lady with glasses that's dressed up as the character Lum from the famous anime uh, Urusei Yatsura. Um it's not one that I'm familiar with, but it's a very iconic image. Uh, it's it's like a girl with horns wearing a like a cat skin bikini, basically. Very very popular image in in anime in the '80s. <laughs> so we we get a, we get a bunch of um, like definitions throughout, but we definitely get some here at the top. And I want to see I want to explain it to the listeners, and you correct me as I go because I want to make sure that I understand this world as well. So if that makes any sense. Cool. Because if I don't jump in here, I'm not sure how much I'll be able to talk about. Um, the uh, so what we have is um, before anime was uh, big, before I before I assume they started making um, live action movie or not live action movies, sorry, um, actual movies. Um, this was uh, pretty much like a drawing club uh, that were I think some universities, maybe high schools had them, um, and they it seems like there were like groups of people that would go to I believe it's uh, Kamaket. Is that how you say it? It's a, yeah, Comiketto. Yeah. It's uh, basically where um, you and I could put together our own manga, our own anime uh, uh, comic, and we would go sell it. And I'm assuming you can do trades, you can um, make sales. Groups of uh, mostly, I'd say, 99.9% uh, teenage boys, <laughs> at least the photos that uh, were shown <laughs> in, the, uh, in the movie, were these young kids going to these... Um, these comic markets and uh people will be dressed up uh they introduced the idea of cosplay and i can kind of see how this would be really informative at the time because now cosplay is huge with comic con so we everybody knows what cosplay is but at the time i'm sure nobody had any idea what it was um uh, the couple of the characters um in the story the actual um animated story that we're talking about have their own comics that they're selling, and they dress up as their favorite characters. I'm not sure if they're dressing up as characters from their own comic or just no, other comics. No. Other just comics. ones that they like. Um, we have Dujinshi. Is that how you say? It? That's the actual comic, the actual magazines themselves. Is that how you pronounce it? It's a. It's basically like a fan comic or an unofficial comic. Um, and within this subculture, we touch <coughs> on um, uh, like cosplayers, um, collectors. Um, there was one guy, uh, I think we would define as a role player, more or less. He was the uh, elementary school teacher who would go and do uh, gun stuff. I, that's what I'm assuming is um, uh, role player. Uh, I was just going to say it's called Airsoft, and I own some of those. I okay. used them as movie props when I was a teenager, because that's oh, nice. what you did. <laughs> um, and I we, played once or twice. It's basically, it's basically paintball, just with pellet guns. Uh, they have a thing called garage kits, which are more or less um, uh, painting and designing fig- like small anime figurines. Um, we can t- we'll touch on that later. Uh, and then we 
we actually get a couple of instances of um well one was pornography straight up and then there was another guy um oh, yeah. doing uh, it's actually hentai pornography um hentai i learned is um just means um it just describes behavior it's not actually a type of drawing it, it describes um behavior from what i understand mm-hmm. okay it's basically like perverse or strange yeah and they're like don't you think this is perverse or strange he's like i don't know uh, but yeah, so <laughs> does that pretty, does that kind of give you the over? Does that pretty much the overview of what the doc, what, what the movie's getting at? Yeah, that 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 covers most of it for the okay. most part, I think. Okay, so yeah. if you were able to follow along there, I I have I, I have a tenuous grasp on what's happening. Yeah, thank you for putting together the glossary, Kyle. <laughs> You're It's a good thing to have up front. <laughs> Did we write those down? Because you will not be given definitions again. <laughs> student mode engage um please hold all questions for after class thank you <laughs> so our story begins in 1982 um and a gal by the name of yoko calls uh, kubo who is the first person we saw in 1991 uh, he is in bed she invites him out to play tennis and uh, he's he's pretty excited, even though he like just woke up. Uh, this is something that you can only express in animation, because in real life, when people first wake up, they look like shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, and they are not ready to play tennis. Um, so he meets up with her, um, and this feels like a very like I don't know domestic anime from the eighties or nineties, where it's uh, the the soundtrack in particular. Uh, by the way, the music is done by a fellow by the name of Kohei Tanaka. Um, excellent composer done many many in anime um but yeah the music is very bouncy and fun here uh, it's it's meant to be very lighthearted, i guess and uh <laughs> they're playing tennis he's like practicing with yoko and he beasts on her <laughs> like like he he gets a smash opportunity he takes it and he just destroys her and she chastises him she's like you'll never get a lady because you're 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 an ass <laughs> like yeah. you don't know how to you don't know how to play a fair game like you just you had to smash on me didn't you and of course he retorts with like yeah you just need more practice and uh something worth noting here is that uh we do get a shot from behind and we do get a hint of panties from her uh because anime because uh, uh, japanese <laughs> japanese animation yes. because japanese <laughs> um it needs to be said, Gainax, um, as an animation studio, they have a reputation. Um, the the Gainax bounce, um, which I'm sure you know what that mm-hmm. means in regards oh, to I saw that. form. I definitely saw that. Is a uh, is something they're known for. Uh, it's it's always put in in like a playful fashion. Like it, it's it's always extraneous. Like it's one of those things that they slip into their shots where it's like you know somebody dumped a few extra hours, like after hours more than likely just to just to make that shot have that effect because that wasn't necessary at all but they decided to do it and in fact gynax like as an animation studio has that reputation not just in regards to that but they have a tendency to go the extra mile in some regards um in fact evangelion uh famously uh ran ran out of money um when they got to the end of the series to the point that the final episode uh, basically has no animation budget. <laughs> um, and they had to get very creative because they blew their wad like many, many episodes earlier and just had to get it done somehow. Um, but yeah, some of their some of their OVAs around this time, like, oof, some of them animation quality was outstanding. 
to the point that's like that could only have been a, that could only have been achieved with technical expertise and effort. It had very little to do with money. It just had to do with people grinding and getting it done. Um, needs to be said, Otaku no Video is not a handsome animation. <laughs> it appears to have been produced on the cheap. But yeah, this panty shot definitely feels um, like something they would put in there. Also, they have a reputation for being um, like their staff is comprised of like fanboys, I guess. Like people who are just enthusiastic about the things that they like, which is a huge part of why the story of this this OVA is the way it is, because it's their story. Um, so it's not that they're trying to break new ground or like rewrite the whole fucking medium. It's more just, yeah, we like the things we like. Yeah. Um, and then Kubo gets invited out for drinks. And uh, it's some of the some of the dialogue here is interesting because it's all just like flashes here and there of thoughts. It's not like an actual conversation. It's just like phrases tossed around, and you can tell that they're having like a very very shallow, like very materialistic talk. Like one of the guys is drunk and kind of irritated and talking about cars and how like oh somebody got like a Beamer or something. He's like. Pfft beamers aren't even cool anymore we're all into sobs yeah we're we're, <laughs> we're separating the super superficial uh superficial crowd with the um with the nerds basically he's hanging out with the uh more or less frat boys because he's in college like yeah these are the frat guys i don't know i don't know if japan has fraternities or an equivalent Not, i don't really know but <laughs> that's what i got was these are the <laughs> frat boys I, I don't know that they have fraternities, but um, this is very much like the the in crowd, I guess. Like this yeah. is these are the normal folks, um, and these are the normal conversations you're expected to have. So these are these are the socios, Kyle, <laughs> and he's about to join up with the greasers. <laughs> so Kubo uh, ditches his uh, his college group. Um, he says, I you know I gotta practice for tennis club in the morning, so I'm not gonna hop to the next bar with y'all. Um, and then they all file out of the elevator, only to be replaced by uh, a bunch of people who just by looking at them, and I'm sure just by smelling them, uh, you can tell they are nerds. <laughs> uh, ogre, ogre's, ogre's radar would be just beep, 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 <laughs> um, So yeah, they enter the elevator, and the, the references to other anime are so, are so numerous in this, and... I can only recognize like a third of them, but they're so numerous that I'm not even going to try to draw attention to them. Um, they mentioned Kramer versus Kramer at one point. There's a Kramer versus Kramer revival going on. I'm like, why the fuck would you ever yeah. revive all of that movie? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was popular in Japan or popular with the people who made this movie or something. I don't know. I, I watched that when I was a kid. I watched some fucking boring ass movies when I was a kid. My stepmom liked dramas and. Weathering Heights is one Steel of the Magnolias. worst things. Ugh. <laughs> Weathering Heights is one of the worst things I've ever had to sit through. <laughs> I think you've mentioned that more than once. Maybe we need to do that. <laughs> Fuck you. You watch that shit and try to try to get an episode out of that. It is my favorite uh it is my favorite Bond, Timothy Dalton. I mean, oh. there's there's numerous film adaptations. Like there's PBS ones, BBC, fucking uh, all kind. There's there's a lot of them. There's a lot of Weathering Heights adaptations. <laughs> okay, noted. Um, so yeah, these uh, these nerds they walk into the elevator and they're all swapping quotes um, about various anime. I caught some stuff about Captain Harlock and uh, Gundam, which 
I've told you numerous times, even on the show, that like Gundam is a big fucking deal. Yeah. It's basically, I know. It's that. basically Japanese Star Wars. It's it's a big fucking deal. Uh, to this day, it's like the one anime that I will show up for. <laughs> um, it's like the one. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, it turns out one of the folks in this group is this uh, stout fellow with glasses, and this isn't a mullet, but how would you describe his hair, Kyle? Um. It's honestly, it reminds me, he reminds me of Kevin Smith, and I think Kevin Smith had this, like, this haircut at one point. It was like... I can see that. It's not committed to a mullet, but it's like, it's longer than it needs to be on the neck. It's like Mark Borchardt if he combed it. (laughs) I was thinking, um, I don't know if you... Ike Barinholtz, and he's he's in Eastbound and Down. And it's kind of his haircut. It's not a mullet. It's just, it's like a Russian, it's almost like a Russian mullet is the best way to do it. It's not a whole mullet. It's just long, longer in the back than it needs to be, but not too long. Okay. Uh, after we record, I'm going to have to Google fake Wahlberg mullet and there see you if, go. I get, if that gets it. <laughs> mm. um, but yeah, this fella with the uh, indescribable mullet-esque haircut, uh, his name is Tanaka. And he knows Kubo. Apparently yeah. they went to high school together, or knew each other in high school. And uh, he's really excited to see Kubo. <laughs> and they talk a little bit. And uh, Kubo, I'm a nerd, remember? We, I was a nerd, and you were a nerd for a minute? Do you want to come be a nerd with us or something? Yeah, that's that's the conversation. Well, that's what's kind of clever about this, is that like, one of the best things that it does is it, it neither like condemns nor like praises otaku culture 100 percent. it kind of plays both angles and this first exchange between kubo and tanaka like you can tell Kubo's happy to see him because he's he's brand new in college and you know it's a familiar face but at the same time when the fat guy when the short fat man starts going on and on about comics and anime you can tell kubo's like uh, <laughs> it's like yeah i'm glad that's I'm, working out for you i'm, I'm figuring I other tennis. i was gonna say i'm figuring <laughs> other stuff out right now so <laughs> it's like yeah i'm gonna oh shit i'm in an elevator <laughs> trying, to, I got nowhere to trying go. to bone this college girl dude like uh, not 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 just a college girl a, a, a college girl who's a year ahead oh oh yeah uh-huh. i didn't notice that she's a sophomore <laughs> oh Come up. I mean, Mr. Kubo is quite smooth. He's also a little bit tall for a Japanese man, so he's got points. <laughs> and he's on the tennis team. Quite the stud. Isn't Takihara, um, isn't he and, Isn't he pretty tall? Uh, Kind of. By Japanese standards, yeah. Okay. Um, he's not, like, su- super tall or anything. But, yeah, um, Tadanobu Asano is his name. And, uh... It makes, me, a, it makes me sad, some of the American movies he does. But yeah, go go for it. Was it in I Saw the Devil? Is that where the brother... Oh, no, no, no. You had me watch a few different... I can't remember if it's Old Boy or I Saw the Devil. There's a really tall There's a really tall fella in there who's a model, basically. Uh, I want to say... Uh, I, both of those are Korean. I can't think really of which tall. one it is. He was tall. It was that... He's like super rich, and he's—I uh, guess he's been banging his sister the whole time. Um, oh, that would be old boy. Old boy, okay. That'd be old boy, and Koreans tend to be taller than most okay. Asians. Um, They—they—they've had beef longer than the rest of us. It's—it's <laughs> 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 it's science. It's science. Um, but yeah, it's science. Uh, so 
this, I believe, is where we get our first uh, interlude. Um, and we get a whole bunch of these really strange title cards that precede all of these segments. And I made sure to write all of them down just because I wanted to try to make sense of them. I don't think I can. But they're just uh, dates and things that happened on those dates. And yeah, I don't know I... if any of it connects. <sighs> Some of it's bullshit because some of it happens in the future, but yeah, uh, yeah, I wrote them all down and I'll 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 say them on the air just to maybe somebody out there can make sense of it. But the first one is uh, March eighteenth, nineteen eighty-two, the debut of Magical Minky Momo. That is an anime. It's apparently a very 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 long-lived one. Um, Somebody does mention it by name in in the animation. Um, and being as this is supposed to take place in a semi-real Japan in the 80s, uh, I guess that makes sense. It's basically just an indication of place and time. Um, so our first portrait of an otaku, uh, and I believe all these names are falsified or like you know altered to protect the person, is with a Tamatani Junichi, uh, born in 1963. He is a salesman for a machine tools company, and he has been an otaku for 13 years. So... This fella, I believe we interview him in a restaurant or a cafe. Uh, the lighting and the texture of this scene is very dingy. Made me think of like Blade Runner or something. I could smell uh, it. I could just... smell the inside of that restaurant. Yeah. I, I know that it's... smell. Yeah. Uh, he's He is smoking throughout the entire interview. Um, so it is very much a coffee and cigarettes type situation in some sort of diner or something. The interview progresses, and basically they're asking him, like, what was your social life like back in, like, high school and college? And uh, he says that he was in a science fiction group and an anime group. Uh, he made dojinshi with his friends. Uh, they had plans to make a movie at some point. Uh, he does express some regrets about not making the movie because he sounded like he had some confidence about it. Um, and in general, he just goes on and on and on about, like, writing dojinshi, drawing them, uh being proud of the fact that he sold like 150 to like 300 copies of each of these things um and then like his favorite thing to do was just like hang out with his friends and he he keeps using the term research uh in regards to all these clubs he was in it's like basically it just sounds like nerd debates like just debating anime and manga and science fiction and then he very casually mentions uh, lolita stuff (laughs) uh which is naughty naughty and then he does mention uh, Seifuku a couple times, so like uh, sailor sailor school uniforms, basically. So he's a uh, he is nostalgic about getting drunk and uh, getting into arguments with his friends about sailor uniforms. <laughs> um, and yeah, he uh, th- at one point the interviewer asks him like, "Do you have any real friends?" And he takes the longest fucking pause. And he, at first, he refuses to answer, and uh, he seems like he's kind of offended. Yeah, um, there's a couple the, of dudes who are offended. Conc- oh yeah, yeah, there are a couple of dudes who are straight up like they don't they don't have the vocabulary to to back it, I guess. But you can tell from their body language and the timing of their responses that's like they're not happy with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can tell that he. Uh, I guess he's upset that he uh, has moved past that point in his life because it it was i guess like a magical time for him yeah um and you know i think we can all relate to that on some level where it's like we have that period of time where it's like oh you know it's like i i just do what i do and i don't have to worry about anything and then we all grow up 
Yeah, and then you have to pay for health insurance, and then shit gets real. Yeah, uh, and then following each of these these live action interviews, following each of these uh, portrait of an otaku segments, um, we get some like statistics and graphs, and then some narration regarding uh, said statistics. And I think this one is about like uh, statistics of uh, school clubs and like who per- who participates in what clubs and. Uh, how like anime is like on an upward trend and this again this is in like 1991 and the fun thing here is that uh the person narrating all this is uh what's this for akio otsuka i think and uh he's one of the biggest voice actors in like all of anime history um so it it made me smile to hear his voice because he has like the most beautiful delivery um but yeah, uh, we cut from there to uh, we're going to the we're going to the park, and then we go to a cafe, and we get to meet Kubo's, I guess, his lady friend. Like, I never quite put together what their relationship was, but they had a thing going on. Yeah, he's trying to close. He's trying to close here, and uh, he's doing a good job, really. I mean, he's a freshman trying to close in on a sophomore. Um, Fuck yes. Yeah, she's pretty hot. I mean, I get it. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, they're having they're having a little talk at a cafe, and I, I noted that uh, there's a Space Invaders arcade cabinet in the foreground while they're talking, and that made me smile because I know Space Invaders was a huge deal internationally, but especially in Japan. Um, and uh, he invites her to the May Festival, uh, and we very quickly cut to that. Um, that's the thing about this is it moves very fucking fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, he uh kubo is running a yakisoba stand at the uh at the festival uh, and he's bitching about the fact that the his booth is in a shitty spot so he's not getting any customers at one point he decides to like he says fuck it <laughs> and i guess he abandons the booth or something and just t- takes a walk and then uh, he comes across the the white base booth uh white base being the uh like the hero spacecraft from uh, gundam and uh it's funny, I love the timing on this, because he, like, walks past it, and then uh, Tanaka runs out at him from the the white base booth, and he's dressed like Char from Gundam, and he's like, Kubo, Kubo, and Kubo, like, keeps walking for a little bit, <laughs> like, yeah. it's, like, one of the situations where it's like, if I keep walking, maybe he'll give up, maybe, maybe he won't come find me, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it turns out Tanaka and all his buddies, they're selling dojinshi at the festival, uh, they're all doing cosplay and stuff. Um, the gal from the opening sequence, uh, same gal with the glasses, her name is Sato. Uh, she's dressed in her Urusei Yatsura alum costume. And uh, she <laughs> she very casually mentions that she sold all of her books. And, and the camera, like, does an up and down on her. It's like, hmm, I wonder why. I wonder why. why. <laughs> 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 like, <laughs> <laughs> or I wonder how. Um, yeah. Uh, and then we get a funny moment where uh, Sato basically almost looks directly into the camera and explains cosplay. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of funny. <laughs> I didn't really kick out of that. It's funny. <laughs> like I got a laugh out of it, especially because it's now 2019 and people the world over are really into that now. Oh, it's so huge. It's like back then. Yeah, back then this this kind of thing was necessary. But now it's, like, so extraneous to the point that's like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, is this a joke? 
Uh, yeah, so um, she kind of explains it, and then I think um, I think we uh, we turn to another dude. Do we not? We get a couple, like we get the definition of cosplay. We get uh, we know what cosplay is. Um, they explain like the magazines are. They explain the market itself. Um, but then we meet another guy in an office. Oh, um, so are yeah, you- we we cut we cut to another interlude here. Um, this would be another portrait of an otaku segment. Um, and this is a gentleman. Uh, he's sitting behind a desk with a computer. He's in a full suit. Uh, he looks very well put together. Um, Does the, not fit that suit. The heading, he, needs to, he needs to get that shit tailored. It was, I mean, maybe it, was, maybe it was the style at the time. I don't know. It, it, is, it is very Talking Heads-esque. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the heading before his interview is uh, May 1st, 1982, British troops invade the Falkland Islands. Uh, for what purpose? I didn't bother looking it up, but um, it's apparently a thing that happened. Anyway, this guy's name is oh, Ikuta Yudai. I know uh, why. I've, I think I know why now, because this on, this movie ends with um, the destruction, like, uh, post-apocalyptic. And I think this is, it's like giving you cues as to how where the actual narrative is going with the animation. I think that's hmm. what it has to do with. Could be. That's the only thing I can I mean, think you, of. Yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll keep reading these things back, and you you, you keep track of them, so okay. you can make sense of it. Because I couldn't. Um, so this fellow was born in 1969. He is a computer programmer. He has been otaku for nine years. Uh, he attended Waseda, uh, which is a big-time university. Uh, he knew people in media, and he looks at anime and such as a thing that he put behind him. Uh, he is questioned repeatedly about this, um, and every time he's very dismissive of, of it, he's like, oh, you know, that, that was a thing that, you know, that's, that's for kids or whatever. And all he seems to want to do is talk about, like, his job. And uh, what's funny, though, is over the course of this interview, um, he starts talking about audio tech. Yeah. And he's... He's an audiophile. He's an audio otaku now. <laughs> like, so I guess he diverted all that energy and pushed it towards uh, audio equipment because he's talking about like speakers and like transistors and stuff. And it's like, okay, you're a cool. little bit into that. <laughs> Same with computers. And uh, and then they ask him a couple other questions, and he he throws a couple of choice quotes out there. One of which being, uh, "It's not like I'm ashamed of my past or anything." And then they uh, they pull a fast one on him, and they like pull out a photo of him cosplaying from his youth, and he he like sits up straight and like almost like reaches across the desk yeah. and be like, "Where the fuck did you get?" To? <laughs> like, <laughs> Why are you disrespecting me, bro? He starts. Yeah. <laughs> and then he like he backpedals a little bit, and like the the closing shot of his interview is a. Uh, he takes off his jacket and he like opens his desk drawer and he has a Char helmet from Gundam. Yeah. <laughs> and he puts it on and then and then he quotes Char. He says, "One does not care to acknowledge the mistakes of one's youth." And then uh, end interview. It's like, okay, so he's a closet otaku now. <laughs> next shot: ogres hanging him upside down from a uh, staircase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The the office bully finds him. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you've been oh, here the whole taco! time. Taco. <laughs> <laughs> um, then yeah, we get uh, and we get some more bullshit statistics this time about cosplay and and how like the frequency in which people do it and like how 
I love the quote on this this data table. It says, "How many cosplays have you perpetrated?" <laughs> like, what uh, perpetrated? What? Um, did we get introduced to our other characters? Um, so uh, Kubo is. Uh, I don't know how he meets up with what's his name Tan uh, Tanaka Tanaka like Banaka but Tanaka yeah. okay. Um, I'm not sure how he bumps into him. Or do they live in the same building? Um, I'm not entirely sure what happens. Uh, are they both at university? Uh, I don't think they go to university together, but they... It's not really explained. He's just kind of like... Yeah. He, gets off, he gets off the phone with his lady, who he, he may or may not be seeing, and then he ends up visiting Tanaka instead. <laughs> um, it needs to be said that she does apologize to Kubo for not showing up at the festival. Um, so that could explain why maybe he's a little bit uh, hesitant to go go all in on her because mm. she did kind of not show up at the fucking festival. <laughs> That's a red flag for you <laughs> folks out there who are dating. If you get a no-call, no-show from a lady, that's a pretty much she doesn't want to see you. Um, for yeah, you otaku out there. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, we he ends up hanging out with his boy, and uh, he's... It looks like he's... I thought he was drawing, but is he painting? Uh, I think he's either painting a model or an animation cell or something. And he's got a collection of manga in his apartment, and it's a big collection. And he's just like, oh, you think this is something? You got to come check out my friend's apartment. And you go to the apartment, and it's all those people from the elevator. And here's where we kind of get introduced to all the different factions of this subculture. Um, yeah. What... Uh, so one guy, he's really into sci-fi and visual effects. Who I, I was like, I think I'd, I'd like that guy. Uh, he's really chill, by yeah. the way. <laughs> he's just like super fucking cool. Um, one dude is one of those co- uh, not cosplayer. Um, oh, uh, role player, uh, more or less. Um, uh, go ahead. Here, I'll, I'll actually uh, give you the right terminology. Um, I just remembered it. It's called milsim, uh, military simulation. Okay. Yeah. Um, Milsim. Uh, he's yeah. explaining. Um, he's just like you have to. You have to pick a character. Like he's like you have to. Um, he's saying that you have to pick your character and be that all the time. But what he's trying to explain to him is like you need to engulf yourself into this subculture in order for you to be like a part of us. Like to be a part of this. Um, and he they they kind of give him like a crash course and everything. But uh, what's what's the girl? Uh, um, uh, Sato, she is into bishonen, which is uh, basically translates literally to like pretty boy. <laughs> oh. So there's a there's a subgenre of manga and anime that's devoted to pretty dudes. Gotcha. <laughs> she, she stories s- about pretty dudes. They said that, and I'm like, okay, yeah, she's into drinking and dudes. I'm like, why is she a part of this? But now that makes more sense. It's an actual animation. Okay. Um, yeah. The fanatic, uh, I want to call him, is the uh, uh, Milsim. Is that what it is? Milsim? Yeah, there's a Milsim guy, and then there's also a pro wrestling guy. There we go. Uh, he's, the, he's the one with like the, the short hair, like the crop top kind of thing going Yeah. Um, which I was like, Trevor likes anime and pro wrestling. I'm like, is this a thing, too? <laughs> like, do these two go together? Uh, I'm not sure they if do. they do. They, I did not know that. I was an, I was not aware of that. Um, no, one of the most famous uh, animes, uh, well, two of them, Tiger Mask and Kinikuman, are both about pro wrestling. Did not know that. 
Um, so yeah, yeah, the the visual effects guy gives him like a whole bunch of stuff. They're like, you gotta learn how to do this, and they're showing him how to paint. Like they have somebody who's animating, like actually drawing, and then somebody is actually painting them. They have a guy that works the night shift. They don't really say what his sti- his uh, shtick is, like what he's into. Um, they just say that he keeps weird hours, so he works the night shift of uh, putting together all these uh, these um, comics. Um, but yeah, he's getting quizzed and, yeah. and gr- grilled about the different stuff. There was one that I knew the answer to, or one that I would have known the answer to, but I can't remember what the question was. Um, it was kind of rapid fire. Well, there was there were two of them that jumped out at me, one of which was uh, about the Triffids uh, from the American sci-fi film Day of the Triffids. Nope. Uh, and then there was a Star Trek question in there from the you know, original was. Star Trek, um, both of which I, I didn't know the answers to, but I recognized the names. So, you know, Google well, is your friend. Well, that's what <laughs> turned me off. I'm like, why is it I'm like, this is about anim- uh, like with animation and stuff like that. What the fuck is he talking about Star Trek for? Like, he's got to know that shit, too, because that's a whole other <laughs> subculture. <laughs> that can't yes, be a part it is. of I'm like, that's a whole that's a whole other thing. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. Dude, I'm trying to get through. <laughs> I'm trying to get through the next generation. It is tough. Like the first. I season, love it. The first season. Well, the first. The first season's rough. First season is rough. I'm I'll pushing. That, but I'm trying to push through. I started watching that like a couple years ago. I'm. I think I'm in season six now. And mind you, I started this a couple of years ago. Uh, so I've been taking my sweet time with it. But I've really, really enjoyed it. Like, I didn't watch it as a kid. I, I used to change the channel when it would come on, but the pace of it is so is so far removed from anything we have now. It's so yeah. laid back. I uh, love it. Jonathan Frakes, in his prime, better looking than William Shatner. I'll go ahead and say it. Dude, he's and he's, like, super fucking tall, and, like, he's got that swagger. Oh, he's, he's a like, peach. He's always super chill. He's, su- he's such a peach in this <laughs> first season because he's clean shaven. I'm like, God damn. Freaks, I think, was supposed no. to be. He was supposed to. Be, I feel like he was supposed to be the main captain, and then somebody's like, uh, Patrick Stewart, and they're like, and he's just like, fuck. So I'm not the captain. They're like, no, you're co-captain. You're the, you're the executive officer, not the commanding officer. No, you you can't have that. You can't have that sexiness on camera like ninety percent of the time. Like that's just too much, man. You'll isn't, you'll you'll hurt people. Isn't Scott, <laughs> Scott Bakula? Isn't he one of the the dudes now, or in, in uh, subsequent? Uh, it was. Uh, it's not I Deep Space was, Nine. What? Is is it Deep Sta- Space Nine? Is that the one with Jerry Ryan? I can't remember. I think I think it was just called Enterprise. Star Trek the, Enterprise, maybe. That's the one after Deep Space Nine. It's after Voyager. Voyager. Which um, one was Jerry Ryan on? Deep Space Nine. Okay. Okay. Or yeah, I think she was on <laughs> Deep Space Nine. You're that or somebody. Voyager. If there's a Star Trek. There's person. somebody freaking the fuck out right now. <laughs> Oh, I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, and one of the guys mentioned something. Now I understand the frustration, because he said something completely wrong on there, and I'm like, I, oh my god, like I, I have no way to tell him how wrong he is about this. I'm like, this is... Oh no. Inf- I get it now. I get it. I'm like, oh, this is infuriating. Like, what What was it about? I can't remember now, but I think even it would bother you. Like, I, I just can't... He drops, like, some kind of... Uh, some knowledge about a movie or something like that, or it's just completely wrong. And I'm like, you, you, you're a film critic. You're a film critic, and you can't get this right. I'm like, oh gosh, 
so angry. I almost text you to be like, I need you to, I need you to jump on Twitter and because <laughs> 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 I'm not on Twitter, so uh, it'll come to me later. Um, I'll, I'll try to remember. Okay, so we get another um, portrait of an otaku here. Um, February tenth, nineteen eighty-three. Six sixteen-year-old boys commit repeated assaults on homeless persons in Yokohama, killed three and injuring thirteen. Um, and then the otaku we get introduced to uh, is Harold Shioda, uh, born 1961, currently wandering the U.S., 15 years in otaku. And this guy was one of the more interesting interviews they had. This guy has something taped to his head. I'm not sure what it was because it was occluded by like one of those uh, mosaic patterns, one of those digital mosaic patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has a lot of tapes. Um, he lives in squalor. Uh, there's you can't navigate his living space because there it's just piled from top to bottom with VHS tapes. Um, apparently, he collects um, idols, meaning ladies, basically. Like, do you know what an idol is in like Japanese, like in Japanese terminology? Trevor, I have no idea what that is. Okay, basically, <laughs> basically, it's like a it's a young woman that is just it's kind of like a famous for being famous kind of situation but okay uh, like uh Elvira. But, they actually do, but kinda but it's 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 really a loose definition because oftentimes idols are singers dancers actors uh bikini models all wrapped into one okay and um, basically fun- basically that yeah they i don't know how to explain it it's hard Okay, fun fact, um, uh, Vampira actually sued Elvira for, uh, is that how you say your name, Elvira? The the lady? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She uh, unsuccessfully sued her for stealing her shtick, which I'm like, if you got a good lawyer around, good good lawyer, how did you lose that? But I'm sorry, I just watched Ed Wood last (laughs) night, so. Oh, Vampira, um, the real Vampira, uh, in interviews, she is amazing. Really? Like she is a good interview. <laughs> she she casually mentions in the Ed Wood documentary I watched recently that uh, Orson Welles gave her the clap. <laughs> 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 and her delivery is priceless because she's just like, oh, well, you probably don't want to know about that one time oh, when Orson God. Welles gave me the clap. And it's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Dude, I'm sorry. More about that, please. Sidetrack with Ed Wood real quick. Martin Landau, when he is playing Bella Lugosi, and there's that electrical equipment, and he's like, I'm not getting near that goddamn thing. <laughs> I don't know what. Martin Landau. I'm not getting near that goddamn thing. Goddamn thing. It burns me. <laughs> oh, I, lo- I love uh, Karloff, sidekick. Fuck, fuck you. you. <laughs> it, is a, it is a good fuck you. Um, yeah, <laughs> I was. Limey cocksucker! <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, Bill Murray, when he asks, when he's getting ready to be baptized, he's like, Do you accept Jesus Christ? And he's like, Sure. <laughs> sure. Oh, Bill Murray yet. has so many good moments he's in that. So... Um, my favorite. My favorite is at the party when he has the, the mariachi band with him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, Tor Johnson's asking him about his sex change operation. Like, how did it go? And he's like, it was terrible. <laughs> he's like, but his the the emphasis he puts on his words is so beautiful because like he casually mentions that the guy he was with got murdered. 
Oh, <laughs> he just casually mentions it. He's like, he's like, Todd was murdered. But then the next, the next line is, "Our luggage was stolen." <laughs> it's like you can, you can tell he was more affected by that <laughs> than the murder of his his guy friend or whatever. But our luggage was stolen. <laughs> Priorities, man. Priorities. Oh uh, yeah, but yeah, this uh, this fellow with all the tapes. Um, so he collects idols and animation and TV commercials, uh, specifically rare commercials. And basically, he's just trying to preserve media. And he's he's asked, does he actually watch any of these tapes? And he very quickly says, no, I just I just collect them. And he wants a perfect collection. Uh, he has a network throughout the country of people like like minded individuals who he trades tapes with. And uh, he gets a phone call during the interview from somebody who I'm guessing uh, has a tape that uh, they want from him or something. Uh, it's kind of hazy, but uh, this is where I started to like. I started to have a, a revelation of sorts. Is um, I feel like anime and just fandoms in general, like otaku culture across the board, um, really spread like wildfire. Uh, due to accessibility um because from from this interview and from other instances in this in this very animation um we see that like anime really started to to grow and become like a mainstream thing worldwide when it became accessible in some fashion and the first wave of it came in the form of vhs and beta like just reproducible media basically because before that we just had tv and, and movie theaters well he mentions that um it's actually better like the guys that live in the rural areas he's like they actually get the better stuff because it it it's on air and it doesn't like they do more obscure stuff than they do in in cities um which i thought was interesting um but yeah i, I picked up on that yeah i mean even the characters in this ova like tanaka uh, they call we'll him City Boy. Just a minute here. Yeah, they they call Kubo City Boy, but like Tanaka has a collection of VHS tapes. Um, they actually ask Kubo like, "Do you remember this one TV show? It was like a it was like a science fiction or mystery TV show. Do you remember that?" And he's like, "Yeah, it was great." And then Tanaka very enthusiastically whips out a bunch of tapes and says, "Well, I have them." And oh. that wasn't possible until this until that generation. I am so sorry, Trevor. I completely forgot about um, the one anime that I watched when I was a kid, and my brother um, probably remembers this too. So Samurai Pizza Cats. Oh fuck! Yeah, yeah I watched that too, man. Every morning uh, before school. I was school. always very frustrated. I was always very frustrated because I never really got to finish it before school. Yeah, I always had that, to leave. Yeah. Um, that and Secret Squirrel. Which was actually, not an anime, but actually, because of our time difference, you were two hours ahead. I think I, I think they played a couple of them, and we caught like the last fifteen minutes, or at least the second half, because then, like we we were like right in between, so we would catch the end of Samurai Pizza Cats because it was really really early, and then the mask would be on uh, after that. I oh the, fuck! The, the mask TV show was on. Yeah, I, I watched a little bit of that. Um, you're fine. But yeah, Samurai Pizza Cats was good times. In fact, I think it's getting like a, a DVD or a Blu-ray re-release pretty soon here. Oh. Um, I don't know that I would care to go back to that, no, but um, good, mem- name, good memories, though. The, the name pretty much tells you what you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, we cut back to Kubo and Tanaka, and uh, 
this is where the sequence I mentioned where Tanaka is like showing off his tape collection happens and we get to see some uh, really bombastic animation sequences which uh, um, it's basically mostly like mecha kind of stuff so like jets and, and robots and you know missiles and stuff and it's really really good animation this footage is actually from the very first animations that uh, Gainax ever produced uh, it's it was a like an opening video sequence like the equivalent of like uh, the opening ceremony for the like the Olympics but for a, a convention it was for a convention called Daikon and it was for Daikon 3 and 4 um, I would like you to actually watch these because they're pretty fucking cool. And one of them has a ELO <laughs> as the backing music, mm. uh, Electric Light Orchestra, um, which I happen to like. But basically, uh, we get to see like Gy- like it's a little cameo from like Gainax's earliest animation here, and uh, we can see that Kubo is getting really into it. Um, and then the the sequence that you had mentioned, where uh, everybody's kind of quizzing him, happens here, and so it's basically all the nerds in the room throwing everything they've got at him and i believe the sequence ends with uh sato like kind of encouraging kubo to continue drawing and painting because they're like practicing drawing and painting like animation cells and uh she gets him a a red shirt which uh the character cobra kobura from is a like a very prolific anime slash manga character she got him basically a cosplay outfit and you can tell that he's like starting to get swept up in things. Um, we get another interlude here. It's uh, what, 1983, uh, September 1st. Uh, Soviets shoot down a Korean plane. Okay, was not aware of that, but that's a thing that happened. I think we're leading up to. I I, I think I'm with i think we're leading up to the apocalypse that were not explained in the actual animation i'm sticking with that well i'll go with that i'll go with that for now okay um so we get another portrait of an otaku uh, mamiya kenji born 1969 english teacher at a girl's school five years in otaku um and this was the one that you had mentioned uh he's the mil sim guy so he's smoking and playing airsoft And uh, we're interviewing him, and he's talking on and on about his gun. He mentions that it's been modified, which to me means that the motor has been upgraded to shoot harder, um, which I believe there are actually Japanese laws um, against uh, like a certain number of feet per second for pellet guns, because otherwise it becomes like a dangerous projectile weapon. Um, I think it's around like 300 feet per second is, is safe. And like over 400 is considered dangerous or something. I I used to be kind of into this stuff. <laughs> um, and then they ask him like, "Have you ever con- shoot, considered shooting small animals?" And uh, he does say that yeah, he has. But then they ask him what his feelings are on war and like hurting other people, and he very sheepishly says like, "Oh no, I don't approve approve of either of those things." <laughs> um, but he does mention that um, he likes. He likes the beauty of the gun's functionality. Uh, he likes like a singularity of purpose, and uh, he does mention that he likes that him being a person who is slight of sat- stature and build has a fighting chance against anyone as long as they're both using guns. Uh, so he's got like maybe a little bit of a Napoleon complex. Um, <laughs> and then our uh, data table for this sequence is a. Uh, there is no correlation between anime and guns. 
<laughs> okay, thank you for that. Thank um, you. And then we get, yeah, I think uh, Kubo goes to Komiketo this time, uh, and he does in fact go through with the cosplay. Um, and then we get to see him with his lady friend again. And uh, do you remember this exchange? Yeah, she's like, you're getting fucking fat, and you look like a slob, and you're just fucking are you <laughs> just pulling all nighters again. You're fucking fat, dude. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> so yeah, she's pretty yeah, much just we get not, it. it's not working for her anymore. He's He's gone from, like, pre-cheating Tiger Woods to DUI Tiger Woods at this point. Like, he's not, <laughs> not looking good. Yeah, uh, we get a nice little uh, tilt down shot where she says he's fat, and then we tilt down to his waistline, and it is kind of soft. Yeah. <laughs> you can well, tell he's a little. They sh- they show his, his his pile of dishes. It's just chopsticks and plates, and I'm assuming he's not getting good sleep. And yeah, he's just he's a slob. Man, I, I could do I could go over some ramen right now. Sorry, that sounds really good. Okay, so at this point, we're at another one of those Portrait of an Otaku segments. Um, this time, the subject is uh, Mamiya Kenji. Uh, keep in mind, all these names are, are phony. We're, we're protecting the identity of these folks, so they all have like digital mosaic patterns on their faces, and their names and voices have been altered. Uh, born 1969, he is an English teacher at a girls' school, and for five years, he has been an otaku. Um, this fella, <laughs> this fella is doing something a little different. I thought this was a little odd that they specified his occupation. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a teacher in all-girls school. He's a fucking nerd. I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, it's like, d- does it really matter what kind of school he's teaching English at? I actually Apparently was... Apparently so. <laughs> I, uh, I went to a show just a couple of days ago um, in Maryland, and um, a friend of a friend, his one of, his, uh, one of my buddy's friends from um, elementary school, um, one of his favorite bands is a hardcore band, and uh, he is a pretty much a head start um, college teacher. Like he's a he's oh. a yeah chemistry or chem, I think he's a chemistry teacher. Yeah, so I'm like this guy is a is a teacher teaching young like go getter minds, but on the weekends, man, he's on the back end of the pit watching watching bands. Well, I mean, you never can tell. I mean, one of the most hardcore of hardcore insane wrestlers was uh, Spike Dudley. And I think he was a he was like a grade school teacher or something. Like this this motherfucker would like this motherfucker lives to dive through tables with barbed wire and fire on them. <laughs> There's and a British he very casually just threw it out there in an interview that's like, "What's your day job?" He's like, oh, I'm a teacher. <laughs> it's like, oh. Okay. There's a there's a British comedian who is he's been on the Graham Norton show a few times and I've caught some of his stories but he's a uh, he's pretty funny he was like a uh, like a middle school teacher and he started teaching when he was like 21 and he has drunken stories from when he was a teacher they're pretty funny um, but it it kind of sheds light on yeah your teachers maybe not my teachers uh, I grew up in kind of a little bit of the Bible Belt um, but your teachers might be doing crazier shit on the weekends than you think guys. Yeah, for real. Uh, so this fella, uh, he, this fella is a different, slightly different breed of otaku. Um, you'll notice right away that he's dressed up in, in like military gear, and has a, a very realistic looking rifle. Um, it's intentionally made to look realistic because it's an airsoft gun. It's actually a uh, electric motor powered uh, pellet gun. Uh, it's an airsoft gun. I used to, man, I used to have a lot of these. In fact, I still do. I think somewhere in one of the closets at my parents' house. Mm. Um, I would use them as props for the movies I'd make in like high school and stuff because they're yeah. they're designed to look exactly like real weapons. 
Um, obviously, they don't function the same. Um, but this guy's out in the woods at night, and uh, our camera crew is interviewing him. Uh, he's <laughs> he's smoking during like <laughs> apparently during the middle of a match or something because you can hear people stomping around in the background, like in the wilderness, uh, presumably looking for him. Um, but some of the questions the interviews ask him are are things along the lines of, uh, "Have you ever considered shooting small animals?" And uh, yeah, he 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 owns up to that. He has. Um, but then they ask him, "Have you ever had the desire to hurt other people?" And very like immediately, he like backpedals and becomes very sheepish. And he's like, "Oh no no, I I I, I could never imagine doing that. Like I hate war. Uh, I would never want to hurt anybody." Um, and then they start asking him a like about his hobby, about his airsoft, his military simulation uh, habit. And uh, he explains that the reason he's, he likes airsoft is he likes the, the beauty of the gun's functionality, um, like the singularity of its purpose. I mean, really, like as a tool, a gun does exactly one thing. It causes harm to other things. <laughs> it, it fires a projectile. It's not, it, you're not going to be building a house with a gun. It does one thing. <laughs> so I guess that makes sense, but... He also mentions that um, as a person who's relatively small of stature, he admires the fact that uh, having a, a ranged weapon or, or a gun or something um, puts him on the same level as everyone else, regardless of physicality. So he has a bit of a nerdy Napoleon complex going there. Um, but yeah, uh, the data table that follows up this interview, uh, again, remember all the, all the data tables here, just like phony statistics, just for shits and giggles. But it says there is no correlation between anime and guns. And I was like, <laughs> that's kind of cute. <laughs> <laughs> um, at this point, uh, we go to the Komiketo, so like the equivalent to like a Comic Con or something. Uh, I think it's just a local one, so not like a gigantic one. But it's uh, Kubo and Tanaka and the rest of the crew, and uh, the the cosplay that Sato had uh, offered up to Kubo, the the Cobra outfit, uh, he wears it, and he's a big hit. And it looks like they had a great-ass time. Uh, there's tons of, like, cameos in the background here of various anime characters, too too numerous to mention, um, many of which went over my head. But uh, then we cut away from, from the convention, though, and Kubo is with his uh, his college gal pal, and uh, he's looking a little disheveled. And uh, we're out on our coffee date again. And Kyle, do you do you happen to recall some of the, the things that she threw at him here? <laughs> Yeah, she's like, were you up all night again? You look tired. You look like you haven't slept. And she's like, you're also fat as fuck, dude. Like, you were a fit little tennis player. Now you're getting all all gross. Because he's staying up all night, you know, working on all this stuff. And he's eating garbage because it's just whatever's close. Like, he's probably pounding down ramen. Because they show a picture of his... uh, um, his sink and it's just chopsticks and empty bowls. And I'm like, yep, that's all. That's all just ramen. Um, It's funny. The ceiling, yeah. This reminded me. I don't know if I mentioned. I've told you this before. We had this guy in the, um, who was on the ship with us. Uh, I don't want to say his name, but um, he was a huge video game guy. And we had a little um, where we could do laundry. They also had these little TVs, and you could rent um, video games. Like you, you could get video games. They had Xboxes in there already, Playstations. And um, as soon as he'd get off work, he would just go to that place and play video games all night. And it was open. Like it was open twenty four hours, so he could just sit in there and play video games. And I, several times I remember walking through there in the morning to get like a cup of coffee and he was in my division and he would be asleep in the chair. 
he would just sleep there in his uniform. Uh, he would probably play till like three or four in the morning and just pass out. And we'd have to like someone of one of us would have to wake him up. Like, dude, you got we got a muster here soon, and he would just get up and then he would just be like falling asleep <laughs> in muster and then have to go work all day. And I was like, God damn, dude. But yeah, that that kind of reminded me of him here because he's like kind of clonking out and i mean the guy in the navy was you know he had a poor physique as well uh but uh yeah it kind of reminded me of that well i I think like that's in some ways that's like the the nature of fanaticism is uh it causes a person to rearrange their priorities in a way that maybe isn't the most healthy um Basically, it, it's like you're going all in on, on one area of your life while neglecting. Like, inevitably, you have to neglect other parts of it. So, yeah. at this point, Kubo is leaning very heavily into his interest in anime and, like, cosplay and stuff like that. And, uh, obviously, he's not playing as much tennis, uh, nor does he seem to be seeing his lady friend as much. Well, um, the, actually, it's interesting um, uh, that we're talking about this, that um, one of the one of the problems uh, nowadays, I'm sure you've heard of this, um, the the light in LED uh, screens actually mimics um, uh, UV light. So mm-hmm. when you're when you're when your eyes see this, it makes you think that it's sunlight. So your brain stays awake, and if you're just focused on the screen, it just keeps you awake. And part of the problem I think now with people playing video games all night, it's not that they necessarily want to keep playing. It's just that. Their brain keeps thinking that, oh, it's daytime. We're going to keep playing. It's daytime until they eventually crash. Whereas here, that's not the issue, is that he's actually just a fanatic. Like, he's so invested in this that he's losing sleep. And, yeah, other parts of his life are are, uh, are going on the back burner. Well, there's, I mean, there's, like, one of the best things that this movie does, and I've mentioned it before, I think, is is that it, it plays both angles. It doesn't. 100% say anime, like fa- fanaticism and like being an otaku is like a good thing or a bad thing. In this case it's like yeah, he's he's kind of fucking it up with this would be relationship and he's his health is, you know, not the best at the moment. But at the same time, the time that he's devoting to this hobby is also time he's spending with people that he values as friends. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he's a shut-in or he's like closing himself off from the world and just you know hiding in a corner watching vhs tapes or something no he's he's going out and about with his friends um but he's also kind of doing a little too much of that um but yeah she calls him fat (laughs) um he mutters to himself about a couple of like animated movies that are going to be premiering soon so he's like arranging his schedule he's like verbalizing his schedule to her like unknowingly he's like oh like I gotta do this and the, like that, that movie's coming out so I gotta see that and she's like what <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and I also noticed that the Space Invaders arcade cabinet that was in the cafe has been replaced with a, a Mahjong machine mm. um, so that indicates like a passage of time of some sort um, I don't know if that particular model of Mahjong machine was particularly pop- popular in Japan at the time uh, I think we're, st- we're in 1983 at this point um, but yeah, uh, we get a another one of those title cards that tells us the date. It is now October thirteenth, nineteen eighty three, uh, and the quote here, and I guess we're still b- building towards your apocalypse theory here. Uh, mm-hmm. The quote here was: "A court reaches a verdict on the Lockheed Maruberi bribery scandal versus Prime Minister Tanaka. Uh, he is sentenced to four years in prison." Uh, so that's a pretty 
awful thing that happened. <laughs> I'm sure the country was a little upset about that. Um, and yeah, we get another portrait of an otaku. Um, this time the subject is Mr. A. Uh, he was born in 1968. He is an assistant recording engineer, has been in otaku for four years, and this is one of the more unnerving interviews we have in the movie. Um, this he, one takes place in a darkened room. And is he milking it? Is, he might be. Uh, his his uh, body language suggests that he's at least diddling himself. Like, maybe yeah. not, like, yanking on it, but he's, he's you know... He's fumbling around in a certain Maybe area. <laughs> testing it and seeing if it's working. He's like, no, 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 this isn't quite working. Okay, here we go. Now it's working. Okay. Yeah, he's, you know, he's just uh, checking the piano keys. He's, yeah, he's, he's, he's running his fingers over the piano keys on his on his, on his his uh, jeans there. Yeah, but yeah uh, we're in a darkened room. Uh, the only illumination is from the camera light from the, from the interviewer uh, and a television that's on the floor. And he's wearing a pair of goggles, and the inter- like the documentarian asks him like, "What's up with the goggles?" And you can tell that they're they're handcrafted. Like they're, I think they have like electrical tape or duct tape on them. They they look like they're built from scratch. Mm-hmm. And he explains that I built these goggles because they uh, reduce they reduce the severity of like digital censoring mosaics. And if you're aware, uh, a lot of Japanese porn has a digital mosaics put over you know choice body parts mm-hmm. um so this he actually built a tool to counter that i guess um and then they ask him about like his 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 a uh, his dating situation or like his his significant others and he uh, he does not have a girlfriend um he doesn't really have any interest in sex um, in fact he throws the quote out there that the the 2d world of sex is is good enough for him that's sufficient for him so he'd rather he'd rather in, engage in his uh sexual instincts i guess via a, a a 2d medium so not face-to-face with an actual person but just like a projection i guess um and it's like i said the, the lighting and this guy's very casual demeanor about having just you know fucking straight up porn playing in the background while while being interviewed is a little unnerving um our statistics table this time around is about sex and marriage uh and needless to say the numbers don't uh don't favor otaku um so now we're in march 1984 and uh naushika uh kaze no tani no naushika uh valley was it naushika the valley of the wind or something it's a um Hayao Miyazaki it's one of his earliest biggest hits um this is I guess the the release day for that movie um I almost put that movie on this list for this month by the way Kyle Hmm. um because it it was a big deal um and it's it's an older Miyazaki movie so it's not the animation isn't as pristine but it it holds a special place in a lot of people's hearts in fact it got like a limited theatrical release in the states as far as I remember um but Kubo and the gang, they're waiting in line, uh, Star Wars style, for this movie. They're all sitting, like, on the sidewalk outside the theater, pro- presumably, like, the night before. Um, and a couple of adults walk by and scold them. They're like, what the hell are you doing sitting out here? You're wasting your lives. That's a couple of drunk adults, by the way. It's like a man in a trench coat and his his lady friend. Um, and then Tsurumaki, the, the the night owl of the of the otaku group, he comes around the corner and like bef- before 
before our characters can be confronted with the reality of like questioning their values like there is that moment of contemplation where it's like man why am i sitting out here all of a sudden one of the nerds runs around the corner and is like i got some stuff <laughs> like yeah. everybody everybody drops it all of a sudden and uh he got some reference sheets um for macross which is uh not it's probably parallel to Gundam in terms of like cultural value for for anime in general it's just gigantic sci-fi series um most famously in the west it was uh, converted into a, a show called Robotech which i'm sure you saw for rent at like Blockbuster at some point in your life possibly um yeah uh but yeah we all we all nerd out over the over the reference drawings that i don't know how he got a hold of them but like they form a circle around him and I'll look at it. Uh, and then we, we cut away from that and Kubo is at his apartment trying to call his, his lady friend, Ueno. And uh, you want to tell us what happens there, Kyle? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, he, he, calls, uh, he calls her up and a dude answers. Um, <laughs> and he's like, hey, is she there or whatever? And uh, he's like, yeah, you totally can talk to her, bro. Uh, she's <laughs> like, oh, uh Oh no! You, I didn't know you'd be calling. Yeah, she basically dumps his ass, because um, she needs a dude who is not a super nerd. Uh, yeah, she she ends it, and um, he's a little devastated. I'd say um, you didn't see that coming, bro. Just a little bit. <laughs> I mean, he he should have, but at the same time, remember this guy's supposed to be you know college age, so. In fact, I've gone over this with my friends a couple of times. I feel like that's, in a lot of ways, that's the secret of anime. Uh, at least, like, popular mainstream anime, anyway. Is that it has a... The way it's written, and the way the animation is stylized, and the way it's paced, um, is kind of perfect for touching on, on, like, the emotional nerves of a younger person. Like, if you have the capacity to get swept up in things, to, to look at to look at a story or something and treat it as the most important thing happening at this moment, um, it's a terrific medium for that. Um, part of the reason why I stopped watching this stuff is that I kind of lost that ability. <laughs> so I, <laughs> so I, I kind of roll my eyes to a lot of the stuff because it's heavily, a lot of it's heavily based in tropes and you know it's 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 too familiar and i just don't have that ability to buy into it anymore and yet somehow i can still watch pro wrestling and enjoy that go figure yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah uh kubo is kind of broken up about this and uh, he and tanaka go to the equivalent to the uh, tokyo um, google steps as i call them mm -hmm. um i have a tradition here in seattle with my uh, some of my closer friends that uh, Google Steps is where the, the real talk happens. Um, pretty much if, if we're out and about and uh, someone has some real shit to talk about, if we end up at the Google Steps, that's where it's going to get hashed out. It, it just That's how it always works. Um, but yeah, uh, Tanaka's sitting down with Kubo, and uh, at one point he tells him, while he's trying to console him, uh, he tells him, hey, you know, like, I don't think normal people could ever understand us. And that kind of like sets Kubo off in a way he, he freaks out a little bit and he like sh just kind of shouts out to the crowd like no one in particular he's just kind of shouting but he he demands to know why like his enjoyment and his obsession with anime and manga 
causes him to be ostracized from society. He thinks of it as being very unfair. That's like, I have this thing I love. How come I, why can't I love it and have that be okay? Um, and from there, he just keeps rolling. Like he goes on like a, a Rick, he cuts a promo like Ric Flair, like Hulk Hogan or something. And he, he decides he's going to go all in on being an otaku. He's like, that thing that I was going like 90% on, I'm going to go 110% on now. And uh, he declares that he wants to be the best. He wants to be the best that ever was, the very best that ever was, uh, to quote the Pokemans. Uh, he wants to become the Ulta King. And uh, Tanaka, of course, supports him. And then we get some awesome music. And then uh, credits, I believe, that... I think is the conclusion of the the first part of this OVA. It's a two part yeah. series. <clears throat> yeah, um, it uh, it kind of just rolls straight into the uh, the next part with the instead of having a, like a, a little cold open, it just I think it goes straight into the next credits. Or does it start with the uh, them making the garage kits and then our credit sequence again? Uh, it, it starts and then it cuts back, so we mm-hmm. we get a taste of uh, them building garage kits. So the first shots of the second episode. Um, <clears throat> take place in 1985 um we are mixing some chemicals and uh, i really like the i really like the the lighting and the framing of of these shots here where it's tanaka and kubo like sitting across from each other on this table and the the the, the quote-unquote camera is set like at the level of the table uh, so both of their figures look very imposing and like there's an overhead light where it's almost like an interrogation room or something so it, it feels very serious like what we're doing right now is the most important shit ever and uh we're mixing chemicals and then we we're not entirely sure what they're up to and then we get our super awesome credit sequence our opening sequence with the awesome theme song which you should def- definitely look up if you haven't heard it before and it's revealed to us that uh, tanaka was building like a mold for a, a resin model kit uh, which, as you had said, is called a garage kit. Um, so the scheme at this point is Tanaka and Kubo have doubled down on becoming otaku, and uh, they want to get into the anime industry, I guess, by way of building these garage kits and selling them. So they want to start a business, basically. Um, and Tanaka's just like, he's on fire at this point. He's just rolling. He's throwing ideas out there left and right. And Kubo tries to reel him in a bit. And he's like, eh, you know, maybe we should do this right. Like, you know, get an actual business license and, and like, actual actually make a legit, like, brick-and-mortar business. And we'll call it Grand Prix or GP. And at this point, um, I forget if I mentioned earlier, but this is, this is the actual origins for a the animation company that made this OVA, uh, Gynax. Um, it was a merging between a garage kit production company, so a, a company that made model kits, and a s- very small animation house. They came together and they formed Gynax. So at this point, like if you're aware of the company history, um, you can start to see where we're going with this. Um, and what did you think of the montage here? Because we actually get to see them like building up their business and holy shit a lot of stuff happens in the next couple of minutes here yeah they kind of make it seem easier than it actually is because i mean because these guys are basically like (laughs) we're gonna take this nerd stuff and we're gonna be crazy successful with it and they're like oh no it's super easy bro you just got to be focused that's how easy it is um which i could see that being more of a a 90s mindset than it is now Uh, like no 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 just you got to put your mind to it spend all your time doing it and you will succeed 
you will succeed no problem. And uh, I think it's a good message to always send people. Like, uh, but yeah, they. But in in this case, it actually did work. Like these guys actually did become. They actually became successful doing this. Like in real life, like you just said. Um. But yeah, the 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 montage sequence is kind of nice. Um, like it, there, there's such an '80s feel to this. Like the montage, mm-hmm. the music. I mean, I'm sure this took it took a while to you know animate and stuff, but yeah. Well, it needs to be said. I mean, this is not the most handsome of animated films. Like it's well animated, but not that well. <laughs> I was gonna say th- this is a little bit harder to have a like a full discussion about because this was more of a learning experience for me. Um, I, I don't have as much feedback on this one, but next week or the next episode, I think there'll be quite a bit more conversation. Uh, I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of been my intention with this month's programming was to kind of ease you into things and then get rolling, and you know, hopefully we we get to the point where you you start teaching me shit. As opposed to me just talking <laughs> at you the whole time. Um, I mean, how much more yeah. anime do I have to watch? <laughs> um, honestly, not that much. Um, I, mean, I mean, just in life. Oh, <laughs> uh, well. I mean, uh, if you if you want to become a Kubo or Tanaka, a whole lot. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you want to become the Ota King, if you want to become the best, the very best that ever was, that um, point in my life is past. Uh, I don't think that that's an option for me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna regress now. It's like these old bones can't handle the animes anymore. <laughs> but yeah, these two uh, very clearly have never tried to start a podcast in the 21st century. Because um, <laughs> yeah, everything goes very smoothly for them to the point that I almost thought this was going to be a dream sequence. Um, because they they just get rolling and everything works out. Um, we get to see them laboring over their products and refining them and like publishing print ads. Uh, Tanaka hires uh, Fukuhara, who is their assistant. Uh, she's hot. Hot. Um, and she, yeah. yeah, she she kind of becomes significant later on, but I'm not entirely sure why. Um, but she her character model is kind of like a trope in a, in like manga and anime where she's like the the ultra pure soul. Where like everything about her is whimsical, it's like kind of like a manic pixie dream girl minus the manic. Thank you. I was just um, about so to say she, like she's a manic pixie dream girl. Yeah, she she is, but not manic. Just kind of overall, just really perfect in a lot of ways. Um, she's kind of like a. Get, oh, you haven't seen Fanboys, have you? Uh, the Star Wars movie. Uh, no, actually, I. Oh, you've man. brought it up before. Um, where uh. I remember you telling me about it, and maybe I should watch it, but I remember you told me, like, I think Ray Park has a cameo that I might like in there. Yeah, it's subtle. I mean, no one, I mean, only diehard Star Wars nerds and action, like, uh, action movie fans would get it, or, I'm sorry, um, action movie fans like you would get it, (laughs) because... (laughs) you're separate from just the traditional action movie fan my dad's an action movie fan if i was okay. to tell him if i was to mention ray park he's like who the hell's that is that a new football player or something I'm like no <laughs> guy who played darth maul in star wars yeah if i remember right um the the term it it escaped me for a minute but if i remember right uh, yamato nadeshiko is the the word for what fukuhara is it's like it's like ideal japanese woman basically 
Mm. Like Yamato Damashi is like Japanese spirit. That's like ideal Jap- Japanese person. Nadeshiko is like a, I think it's like a type of flower or something. But basically, it refers to like an idealized representation of femininity in that the reason, culture. The reason I mentioned fanboys is because Kristen Bell plays uh, uh, the girl who works at the comic book store as uh, <laughs> Jared Fogler, something like that. I think this is his name, the fat guy with the bug eyes, and Jay. Oh, okay. Jay, I can't think of his last name. But yeah, they tried to ugly her up by putting like a black wig on her and like, oh yeah, she's just a girl who works at the comic. Oh my god, she's five five foot nothing hot Kristen Bell. Yeah. No, she there's no, no never mind the fact <laughs> never mind the fact she has perfect teeth, like immaculate complexion, yeah. like perfectly structured nose, like she's just kind of beautiful overall. <laughs> yeah, just all around gorgeous. Yeah, she'd be hanging out with these fucking losers. Uh yeah. not gonna happen. This this is a dream. I honestly thought she was fake when 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 they first had her in there. I'm like, what the fuck is she doing with these guys? Or maybe it was a maybe it was like a pillow lady that they had. And they're like, oh yeah, she's working on stuff and then he would look at it and like that's a pillow. <laughs> no, no, no. She's she's hard at work over there. She's she likes uh, c- uh cute boys and alcohol. I'm like yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you got a little polyamorous thing going on here with that pillow, or what? <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, it is like we during this montage we get to see Kubo and Tanaka and Fukuhara. They they do like a ribbon cutting event at like one of the major stadiums in Tokyo. Uh, so they're very successful, uh, yeah, and we jump successful. we jump ahead a, a decent chunk of time here to 1987 and uh, Wings of Hanamai's. Uh, it's a it's a film, so an, an animated film that again uh, I almost put on the list for you to watch. Um, this one I don't think it's as universally loved because um, it it is kind of slow and meandering, but I think you'd really like it, Kyle, because it's like the design work is gorgeous. Um, it is a Gainax film, by the way. Uh, so the same studio that produced the OVA that we're watching. Um, but it's it's about like a fictional country that's trying to go to space. Oh, and that's okay. largely all it's about. It's There's no like big, huge, bad... I mean, there are like terrorists and stuff, but it's not like, you know, defeat the big giant monster at the end and save the world. It's just kind of like we're trying to train ourselves how to go to space. And so it's it's about scientific discovery and personal growth. I'm curious because I know that one of the reasons why I like I found I figured out one of the reasons why I like Aliens and 2001: A Space Odyssey was the use of negative space, and I mentioned that Stanley Kubrick is the master of negative space. If you just watch 2001, um, but I noticed um, spoiler alert for uh, Ghost in the Shell, it's tr- like it's it's fantastic. Like the use of negative space in in that is awesome. I don't know how I'd feel about um, an anime. Uh, in space, I don't know if it would have that same charm as a, a well, live action a, film. That's the thing; it it doesn't really take place in space. It's about getting oh. there. It's oh, okay, just, I was thinking it. It's about escaping orbit. Like it's oh, about okay. escaping Earth's orbit, and a lot of it consists of just training montages of scientists and wannabe astronauts trying to figure this shit out. Gotcha. <laughs> it's really charming. It is a little boring at times, but it like the design work is gorgeous. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I would I would recommend it. I think okay. you in particular would like it more so than most people. But well, I've I've got a nice little date tonight with a Blu-ray I just got. Uh, uh, Boris Karloff's or Boris Karloff in Black Sabbath uh, horror oh, anthology. I uh, got that. You sent me that link for uh, it was a bunch of Hammer films. I think wasn't it? The I yeah, think was, so. Yeah. Yeah, 
I picked that up. It was like nine ninety nine. I'm like, all right, it looks like fun. So, <laughs> fuck it, let's do it. <laughs> Got my work cut out for me tonight. <laughs> uh, so we cut to another portrait of an otaku. Um, this one's another hoarder. Uh, he is into model kits, and uh, his name is uh, Sato Hiroshi, uh, born nineteen sixty eight. This is a com- healthier hoarding. I'm sorry. This is a healthier it is. hoarding. It is. Um, this guy has and- an actual skill, and he's obsessed with it. The other guy is. If he's, I'm sure there are real people like that. I mean, you mentioned that there are people that are like that. I'm like, that's not quite as healthy as of, of, of an obsession. But this guy is actually doing stuff with his hands. Well, the the thing that was disturbing about the VHS guy was that when asked, "Do you even watch this stuff?" he said, like, "No," nope. which nope. means you're you're acting on a compulsion, like you have a psychological issue where you you can't not do this thing, regardless of what it actually gives you. Um, but this person, like you said, he has a skill. Um, he has been, he's a comic magazine editor, nine years in otaku. And, uh, we see him the entire, like over the course of the entire interview, um, we see him fiddling around with a a resin model kit and he's, he's like scraping away at it with various tools and painting it. He's actually like building a model basically, Um, like not from scratch, but he's modifying a pre-existing model. But he um, hints that he has the skills to do things from scratch. Like, he could yeah. do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he he is asked about um, the nature of being an otaku. And, like, com- he's asked to compare himself to, to other fanatics out there. And he actually looks down his nose at some of the others. <laughs> Those guys um, are be- fucking pussies, man. Yeah. He's, yeah. He yeah, doesn't he, say he, that, but... He, he pops his collar and he's like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys, they ain't doing shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's, he says because he actually creates something. Whereas yeah. the other people that you interviewed earlier in this film, uh, they merely consume. Like, they take mm-hmm. in things. They, they take what's given to them and create a collection or something. Whereas him, he's actually crafting something. And uh, he, makes ref- he makes a reference to the term full scratch. Which is, like you said, basically building a model from scratch, essentially. Um, as opposed to just taking a, like a mass-produced model and then just assembling it. Um, he also mentions that uh, plastic models are essentially about making what's given to you, whereas a garage kit, a resin kit, is about building, building what you want. So, like, building it to the specifications of your desire. Mm-hmm. And obviously he enjoys that freedom, uh, He's turning over. It needs to be said. He's turning over a, a female doll, basically, in his hand and, yeah. and modifying it. So clearly, he has an image in his head of what he's trying to achieve here. But there is a le- there is a level of artistry that goes into what he's doing that, like you said, like makes it, I guess, m- somewhat somewhat more socially acceptable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I forget what the oh the statistics in this uh, segment uh, the statistics table says. Uh, it's basically like what the public's opinion is on garage kits and if i remember right it basically says like most people don't even know what they are <laughs> um and then we we uh jumped to 1987 and now we're at the grand prix uh the gp head office building and uh for a few minutes here the the ova turns into like a like a a procedural drama because all the characters are reintroduced to us, but this time with like on-screen titles as to their position in the company, and the the tone is much more dire than it was before. It's kind of silly. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so they're trying to uh, they're trying to figure out how they're going to mass produce um, these garage kits. Um, don't they talk about like uh, this is where like he's going to go to China? Basically, he's like, we need to get a factory in China, and like we we've, we've kind of talked about like that's kind of not a great portrayal of uh, of uh, Chinese workers because they're yeah. all. Yeah, it's like we, a we, giant <laughs> sweatshop, and they was it Mao? They've all got like the the hats and everything, and it's yeah. just not flattering for the Chinese community. Yeah, um, <laughs> the goal here is that Kubo wants he has not yet become the very best that ever was. He is not the Ota King yet. He has a dream. He wants to build uh, a utopia for Otaku that he'll call Otaku Land, uh, which. The image that we're shown from his imagination is essentially like Comic-Con. Um, but basically, he wants to make Disneyland for, for anime and manga nerds. Mm-hmm. Um, we get to see like a conference room scene where um, we get to see all of uh, the otaku group now in like full business attire uh, in a boardroom. And again, everybody has corporate titles. Um, the sh- we get a shot panning across uh, Sato's legs because, again... Yeah. Did you did uh, you <laughs> did you see Taxi Driver Robert De Niro? Yeah. yeah, yeah. For s- some reason, you said he wanted to make you like he wanted to make Disneyland for um for anime guys, and I'm like that quote in the beginning. He's like, sometimes I wipe the semen off the. All right. He's like, sometimes I wipe blood off of the off of the 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 seats. Sometimes it's semen or whatever. <laughs> it's just I was picturing that. And, how was it like cleaning otaku land, sweeping the streets and all that? Like It was uh, everywhere. <laughs> because you know they'd have like a whole like side side segment for that whole uh you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, no, they I mean what they have see I haven't been to Disneyland in probably two decades, but like um yeah. like what they have Toontown and I'm I presume they have like a Marvel corner and um, maybe they have like a Halloween town or something. Like yeah. for Nightmare Before Christmas, like, yeah, they would definitely have like a hentai corner or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they would, but it would be um, armed guards. Like, you pull your dick out, it gets shot off. All right, you guys are here. <laughs> you take this energy somewhere else. You do not get it out here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that would be that would be really bad. It'd be very messy. It's like all the day. it's all the guards from Blade. They have like full body armor and like the, the stuff over their faces and no goggles way, man. and everything. I'm, I'm picturing a bunch of guys like um, I don't know if you've seen Equilibrium. I'm picturing a bunch of those guys, or failing that, like Cyclos from a uh, from a uh, Battlefield Earth. Okay, so, yes, Cyclos. Yeah. So basically, people in like long reflective trench coats with platform boots for no reason. <laughs> yeah, I see that. And then too. Forrest Whitaker, just you know, because <laughs> he'd oh. be the guy, he'd be the doorman. I <laughs> underestimated how bad that movie was gonna be. Oh man, <laughs> your friendly bartender. <laughs> Why are you still learning how to spell your name? Top ten John Travolta performances, in my opinion, but that's you know besides the point. Oh, he he swung for the fences. Yeah. Um, I feel kind of bad for Kelly Preston. Like it's like, oh, lady. Like, she made her choice. She made she her did. decision. She did. She let some CGI CGI artist play with her tongue. No, um, I meant she made her decision to marry John Travolta. Oh, okay. Well, you know, maybe that worked out. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, we. The plan here is that we need to expand our production. Uh, so we're gonna go to China. 
and like you said the imagery here is uh, yeah. so they build a f- they're trying to build a factory in the desert um every single chinese citizen is a uh, identical to one another and they're all wearing like stereotypical like communist chinese garb just like the green jumpsuit with a hat and we have like an assembly line sequence where they're just like scores of people shoulder to shoulder building model kits essentially um and it needs to be said the uh chinese representative who meets with kubo um like the manager of the factory essentially is about a head shorter than kubo mm-hmm. um, so yeah uh, the chinese are not very well represented in this um we do get a like an indiana jones inspired sequence here when uh, kubo hops a plane to beijing which is it's cute but yeah it's a little it's a little <laughs> um and then meanwhile though uh there's like a garage kit depression of some sort in japan um for some reason this is topping the headlines in the newspaper uh i don't know if that would ever be the case in real life um Uh, no yeah and then we get like maybe the single most japanese conversation in this entire ova uh and that's two people in in the grand prix company uh just talking back and forth at length for several minutes about the logistics and the details of constructing soft vinyl figurines like they get into the nitty-gritty of this shit and they're so impassioned about it that it's kind of entrancing but at the same time if you're actually like paying attention to what they're saying it's like this is the most boring shit ever (laughs) yeah it was too fine of detail for uh just a just a casual watcher of this movie i'm like what the fuck what what does this matter but like I said, this this segment, this particular segment of the OVA, like, feels like a procedural, and that's a very very popular, like, style of storytelling in in Japan, where it's like you can if you put something if you put a hobby or a profession under the magnifying glass, like any job you've ever had, of course, has jargon, right? Mm-hmm. So if you if you take any one of those and you put it under the magnifying glass and you you blow it up and you make a a concentrated effort to make that interesting the theory is that you can and like through through just like clever scripting and passion and so many times in japanese storytelling at least modern japanese storytelling you you see that happen where i've told you before like one of the like i can't remember his name but uh one of the better modern Japanese film directors out there uh, some of his most famous films were just procedurals like one of them is about tax auditing mm-hmm. one of them is about uh, like funeral service and one of them is about making ramen and in each case he takes this very simple thing that most people take for granted and he blows it up and makes an entire story around it and he makes it like absurdly fascinating and entertaining <laughs> So I took that. I took this sequence as kind of like akin to that, although this wasn't as successful as those. <laughs> um, but yeah, now it's uh, September 1987, and we have a uh, mascot that we're trying to push for the Grand Prix company. This is a. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce German words, but it's Marchen Dalmaki. It's basically a bunny girl. Yeah. Kind of, kind of hot. Um, and then we get to see a scene of Tanaka taking a meeting with a mysterious stranger who basically sends a limousine for him so you know they're someone of status. And we don't learn who this person is for a couple scenes. 
Um, then we get another one of those uh, title cards, uh, July 23rd, 1988. Uh, a Japan Self-Defense Force submarine Narashio and fishing boat Daiichi Fuji collide and sink in Yokosuka Bay. 30 people die. Uh, so I guess that still builds on your apocalypse theory, where it's just a collection of bad shit that's happened. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, portrait of an otaku. Uh, this time it is Sean Hernandez. Uh, born 1964 he is a missionary uh six years in otaku and what did you think of this interview because this was very different from the others yeah so um he's being interviewed and there's a lot of subtitles for this and they're talking about how he, like the guy the american guy is saying he's like yeah i uh i came over here and then i just fell in love with anime it's the greatest thing i've ever seen um they have nothing like this in america i wish that i was born in japan because it's the coolest thing ever <laughs> and i'm like Okay, but underneath that, um, the guy, the actual guy, is saying a, an eighth of what the what's coming on there, <laughs> um, and he does not say most of the things that they're talking about. He's he's he basically says like four sentences. He's like, "I like anime. Anime. I came over here and I just kind of like it. Um, it's pretty cool. It's, there's really cool illustrations." But they add a whole bunch of stuff on top. And he's got, like, a really shitty apartment, and they show, like, a little clip of him, like, coming out of a store with um, some stuff. And uh, what were the stats for this one? What was their statistics? Oh, the statistics were maybe the most bullshit of any Mm -hmm. of them. was that uh, basically 90% of foreigners, like, pretty much everybody who lives in Japan that isn't Japanese... uh, is familiar with anime or is here because they love anime mm-hmm. um so it's basically like trying to push an agenda saying like anime is is art is the cultural ambassador for japan or something um it's it's all bullshit but yeah it was really interesting because um as a native english speaker you can you can hear him speaking over these subtitles and it doesn't match up at all really no. <laughs> and it needs to be said that uh um this person apparently did object to yeah. his representation on camera after the fact. I would too. Yeah, he's made to look like a, a crazy, like self-loathing nerd. Yeah. <laughs> like, like especially that last line of like, "Oh, I wish I was from Japan and I was Japanese." Is like, what? <laughs> Who yeah. the fuck says that? <laughs> no, I mean, Kung Fu Elliot maybe, but not. Oh not. well, I mean, he act. Yeah, he actually did make that claim that he was like. I, I forget what the the ratio was, but he he claimed he was part Japanese or something. Uh, Kung Fu Elliot. <laughs> More people need to see that fucking movie, but they the really way. do. Um, but yeah, uh, Grand Prix completes the factory in China. Uh, we have an emergency meeting in conference room two, and uh, we get to see the mysterious stranger that Tanaka had had the meeting with uh, sitting at the head of the board table, like the table. Uh, he's backlit, so you know he's evil. He's also wearing glasses that reflect the light in the evil way. Uh, his name is Kanda. And uh, basically, he's there to tell Kubo that uh, you're out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so Kubo has been ousted from the company. And so oh, and his uh, his college hottie, she's um, on his shoulder, basically. Like, yeah, Kubo, you're fucking fired, bro. <laughs> 
<laughs> I wish he had had a, a a Willem Dafoe reaction to this. It's like, out, am I? <laughs> like, do you know how much I sacrificed? <laughs> he does flip a switch right there. I do. I I don't remember much from Spider-Man One, but I do remember he's just like really calm. Then he just fucking snaps. It's, it's a good moment. Oh, that, that is one of the more gifable moments from the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. I've used that one many a time. Everybody <laughs> says how great that second Spider-Man movie is, but I don't remember a fucking thing from it. I do think it is the best of them, but Willem Dafoe is so good in that yeah. first one. I've seen that first one a lot. My brother my brother and I, we had that thing on a lot. And yeah, Willem Dafoe is very memorable. I'm like, I don't remember... That actor, who's the actor that plays um, uh, Dr. Octob? Alfred Molina. Yeah. Motoring. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's his best performance. Um, well, what about Indiana Jones? <laughs> he's throw me the for, idol, I throw you the weep. <laughs> he's, he's in there for five seconds. Um, he dies good, though. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he's just, uh, I thought that he was an underwhelming villain. I just it wasn't I wasn't really buying well, it. The thing with him is that he doesn't really get the chance to be a villain, because like Willem Dafoe, he is the green fucking goblin. He is and, he's going way over the top with being a supervillain, whereas Doctor Octopus is more sympathetic. Willem Dafoe is kind of like a Tom Noonan, where it's just like any minute now he's gonna turn. He's gonna be, <laughs> he's playing the good guy right now, but he can he's gonna turn. Even in Platoon, I'm like he's gonna he's gonna turn at some point, right? Like no no no, Willem Dafoe's the good guy. I mean, mm-hmm. but in fairness, I'm like, Tom Berenger's the bad guy, right? <laughs> He's the bad uh, guy. you think? The whole fucking time. <laughs> There's no getting around that. Uh, but, yeah, um, I, I do think I like Spider-Man 2 the best. Um, but I think a lot of it has to do with just a single scene. The train. Like, holy fucking shit. That is like, that is like gold standard superhero kind of shit. Does he attack him in the coffee shop with Mary Jane? Uh, yes. I think well, I remember that, liking that. Was that was actually scene. the the first teaser I think for that movie. It was okay. just the coffee conversation and then a fucking car flying through the window. <laughs> I remember liking that sequence a little bit, but yeah, other than that, I might have to give it a rewatch. I haven't. Yeah, you might want to. I mean, Sam Raimi's good times. Like yeah. it it has a good oh. energy to it. Evil Dead is on on deck right now because it's it's getting close to Halloween, like it's getting Ooh. close to autumn, and yeah, the Evil Dead is on on deck right now. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very excited for your programming choices for for October. By the way, my Killer October. Yeah. Yeah, Kyle's Killer October. Looking forward to it. There might be a few uh, tweaks here and there, but I, we've I think I've got it pretty much set. Well, I mean, shit, Kyle. I was tweaking Anime August up until like. Up- the day we started maybe even like days after we started it's <laughs> like no 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 fuck we're not doing that one we're doing this one sorry <laughs> it's like power already watched the other one it's like fuck <laughs> um so yeah kubo is transferred so he isn't out of the company but he has been essentially demoted and he is transferred to the kichijoji branch uh which i think brings us to the beginning of the entire ova where uh we got to see him during the holidays stuck in a like a desolate office by himself like in an absurd hour of the day um so we get another one of those title cards january 8th 1989 emperor showa dies ushering in the heisei era um portrait of an otaku this is uh, akabori osamu born 1972 culinary student nine years in otaku and this guy 
this guy was maybe the 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 guy with the the porn in the middle of the room was pretty bad but this guy with his porno pc this was very uncomfortable yeah <laughs> um so this guy is intensely preoccupied with uh playing a i think it's a quiz game and uh this is not uncommon in japan where you have either like a some sort of arcade machine um, that rewards you for clearing levels or advancing in the game with with you know nudity. Um, so, so this wait, guy's playing. He's doing Billy Madison, like he's doing. Yes, he's doing yes. quizzes, and Chris Farley's pulling off his shirt, like he yes. gets a reward. That is correct. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's exactly what he's doing, but with a PC game. Second so best he- part. It's not the best part of that movie, but the second best part of the movie is where um, Chris Farley gets his dick rubbed by the penguin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty great. It's an overlooked, th- overlooked part in that movie, but it's I think Chris funny. Farley has every best scene in that movie because he's mm. Chris, he's Chris fucking Farley. Yeah, he does him laughing eating the eating the the lunches like. If he had oh, just been eating great. them, that would have been one thing, but him giggling <laughs> while he's eating it. I think my favorite thing he does in that whole movie, though, and this is something only he could do. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, maybe Brad Dourif could pull it off. It wouldn't be funny, but it would just be scary. Mm-hmm. Is uh, when he's driving and like some kid throws a sandwich at him. Yeah. And it like, hits him in the back of the head and he whips the fuck around. Yeah. And he is just bright red. Like, hey! Yeah. <laughs> it's like, whoa! <laughs> like, nothing that large should be able to move that fast. That was real rage right there. Yeah, I think he was, I think he went method for a sec. Like, he channeled his inner bus driver. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, just his face looked like it was going to explode. Explode. <laughs> oh, he, he, it's kind of an underrated Chris Farley movie, in my opinion. Uh, Almost Heroes. Um, oh yeah, I I really enjoyed his I, I really enjoyed his performance in there. He's, uh, oh, he's very him fun. learning the alphabet. That's exactly what I was thinking. He just <laughs> do you want my head to explode? <laughs> that or the or the bourbon where the guy's like, you look like you like a you fancy bourbon. He's like, oh no, I couldn't, and he just fucking <laughs> <in> the bottle. <laughs> no, it's it's yeah, it has that ugly like cheapness to it. Like mm-hmm. if you listen to one one beat of the music in that movie it just makes you cringe where it's like casio yeah. keyboard but it, i i do enjoy it it's yeah. stupid but it has some good moments in there i might dust it off here soon yeah that and uh like i think it's actually right on par with wagons east in fact maybe we should do a head-to-head between wagons east and and almost heroes because mm-hmm. <laughs> they're both like bad kind of like western comedies starring overweight overweight comedians who died like five minutes after it came out is that a month or (laughs) i mean they're two large individuals i'm sure we'd have a lot to talk about (laughs) we'll get to it but um yeah this guy playing he's i think this guy actually is diddling himself during this interview maybe this was the diddly guy but um, the interviewer is asking him questions along the lines of like do you ever go out to admire the blue sky and he like sheepishly replies like oh, I don't go out much. But the thing that makes him creepy is that he is like dangerously involved in this 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 computer game, where his focus he can't focus on the questions he's being asked because he's so fixated on the computer. And like every question that's directed at him, he 
he takes a few moments to respond sometimes he just doesn't even hear it 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 creates a really unnerving atmosphere let alone the fact that he's playing a pornographic game in front of a camera crew um but yeah they they actually ask him at one point uh, do you think what you're doing right now is indecent and <laughs> his response is like a, a very long pause followed by like uh, now that you mention it but he, <laughs> <Maybe>. that's about <laughs> all they know. get out of him but they ask him like what do you think about real women and uh his response is even more troubling where he he does this more than once actually where he he basically says like oh look how pretty hiroko-chan is like hiroko-chan being the girl that's on the the computer in front of him Mm -hmm. so it's like it's like clearly the one question he doesn't really want to talk about um but yeah the statistics table here is about (laughs) it's about otaku talking to themselves and how it seems to be a pattern where like otaku apparently have a predisposition to talk to themselves more often than most folks again more bullshit but it's kind of cute and kind of fun um so now we're in 1991 uh which again was the beginning of the ova uh grand prix is doing very well uh even in the ussr apparently (laughs) um kubo bumps into tanaka at a sales event and uh tanaka is disheveled um he's unkempt his hair is all fucked up like not that it was great to begin with but he's got like the five o'clock shadow thing going. His clothes are shitty, and uh, he confesses to Kubo that the bankers kicked him out of the company too. And uh, he's he's distraught. And uh, instead of being angry with him though for getting him ousted, uh, Kubo forgives Tanaka and says like, "Hey, buddy, like, why don't we why don't we start over again?" And Tanaka's like super thankful about this because like his his one friend in the world right now. And he forgives him. He doesn't blame him for everything that happened to both of them. And uh, we cut to another title card. Uh, January 1st, 1991. uh, The 23 districts of Tokyo increase phone prefixes from three to four digits. So there's a fuck ton of people in Tokyo, apparently. (laughs) Go figure. Um, Portrait of an otaku. uh, Murayama Akira, 1964. Unemployed, 10 years in otaku, and 6 years as a cell thief. And, this uh, is the um, the anime equivalent of uh, people hacking, like people um, stealing, hacking in and stealing scripts and shit like that, uh, which was kind of popular. Uh, didn't Harry Knowles do that shit? Didn't he get a lot of... Uh, there was some... That, that may I, have been how he got his start. I'm I not think, sure. I think he might have ha- hacked into maybe stole the Star Wars script. Oh, I can't. Fuck. I can't remember. Uh, I remember somebody mentioning it briefly. I'm like, who the fuck is Harry Knowles? And I'm like, y'all know who the fuck Harry Knowles is? I'm like, should I? And uh, they're like, yeah, I think he. I think he stole a script for something. It might not have been as big as Star Wars, but um, but yeah, leaking leaking scripts uh, was kind of a thing in the '90s when the internet was getting big. Uh, but oh, it's still a thing. I mean, the the Sony yeah. hack actually we're still in the the fallout of in some ways. Oh no! They they stole the script for a superhero movie. What could we possibly do? What kind of twists and turns? Who gives a fuck? My God! <laughs> yeah, I mean the superhero genre of storytelling like exists to perpetuate itself. Like it, yeah. it's like it's like wrestling. The Undertaker is defeated, but never never dead, never gone. There, there are no surprises. <laughs> I'm not going to be shocked by anything that happens in a superhero movie, uh, except for when Kurt Russell tells. Uh, t- 
tells Star-Lord that he gave his mom cancer. Nonchalantly, by the way. Yeah. Just a, on a whim. He like, shoulder shrugs it. He's yeah, like, he's just like... He, uh, kind of gave I mean, cancer. what are you going to do? Like, <laughs> Damn, dude. Like, I'll give them that. I'll give them that. That was a nice little twist there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're... Um, we're are we back to the real person? Yeah, this guy is a dude that goes into um, uh, studios basically when they're super busy, probably at the end of Q three, uh, and tries to find. Uh, he goes in and just kind of snags uh, illustrations and maybe some storyboard stuff. I'm not really uh, at this point. It's not storyboard stuff. He steals illustrations. Yeah, um, he does have a little bit of a code of honor going. He does say that he never steals cells that have yet to be shot. Uh, so basically a drawing that hasn't been animated yet so basically basically he says that i don't want to interfere in the actual production of the animation but i'm not gonna i'm still gonna steal shit yeah (laughs) um but yeah he apparently makes decent money doing this um because it's a supply and demand kind of situation there's a lot of people out there who want the things that he can get them um and then the statistics table here is about uh, otaku and how many of them would would take an animation cell for their favorite anime if it was offered to them and 100% of them say yes they would um new plan uh Tanaka and Kubo want to make a fucking movie um <laughs> on on Tanaka's 8mm camera mm-hmm. um like before Tanaka is on fire uh Kubo is trying to reel him in again like before in fact this whole sequence is again quote unquote shot uh, to look pretty much the same way they came up with their plan for making Grand Prix, the uh, the garage kit company. Uh, so this is basically just two guys sitting down and pounding out a plan. And then, uh, <laughs> scratch that. <laughs> These um, guys are coming up with a plan. There coming up with a plan. <laughs> uh, so Tanaka invites Fukuhara to help them. And uh, it turns out she brought a sexy new drawing for a sexy new mascot. Misty May. Uh, yeah. Super Idol Misty May. Bunny Girl. Uh, I posted a picture of her on the Instagram because, you know, I'm trying to promote the damn show, and I figured Sexy Bunny Girl would be a good way to do that. <laughs> no, that's, that's a trap. If you see that on any other site, you're like, oh, I'm not clicking on that. No, no that'll <laughs> crash my fucking computer. <laughs> and so Tanaka actually, like, rambles a bit here, and he says that, you know, that... that that other that other mascot we had, the, the March and Maki or whatever, the reason why she didn't work out as well is because the thing that the people the kids are really into nowadays is mascots, like mascot animals. It's like you look at any of these like mascot chicks, they gotta have like a cute animal friend with them. And I mean, if you look at any Disney movie, mm-hmm, yeah, <laughs> that's how it's done. That's how business is done. That's how winning is done. <laughs> but yeah, uh, they they give. Misty May, uh, Posy and Nega King, uh, basically two little like lion cubs, one like dark and one light, with little wings, and they're very cute and adorable. Uh, and the new company is going to be called Giant X GX, and they're going to become an animation house. And we get another super high energy montage here. Uh, this one was maybe even more fun. Yeah. We get to see them drawing and painting animation cells and then shooting them and needs to be said the detail put into like the the actual machinery they're using to to shoot the animation cells looks very genuine again i mean it's just it's a fucking animation these i'm sure they have the tools right in the back room that they can just look at as reference yeah (laughs) Um, and then we get to see the uh the uh, the reprise of the gynax bounce 
Uh, I think we went over that before. It's a staple of the Gynax Animation House, uh, applied to Misty May. Well, we'll get um, some bounce. Then, we'll get some bounce. Yeah. I noticed in our next episode. Not bounce. I'm sorry. It's a little bit. I'm sorry. I, I, I realistic that. physics. Realistic <laughs> physics. Yes, yes. Thank you. Very realistic physics. Um, and then we, there's a cool shot in here of them like in a back office with racks and racks and racks of VCRs, like mm-hmm. producing VHS tapes for their animation, which I'm sure maybe could have been the beginning of the actual Gynax or many, many a small animation house. Um, it's a, it's a very charming image of like entrepreneurs. Um, it's like Ghostbusters minus the, the ghost fellatio or whatever. <laughs> um, but they hit it big giant X studio. And, uh, we get to see the montage continues. Um, there's a really cool shot in here where we get to see a Kubo like huddled up behind a camera person like with a professional camera rig on a crane and they're shooting a model city exploding so they're making like a live action special effects film a tokusatsu film um, and Misty May is rented out and then we get to do like a screening like some sort of crazy IMAX screening at like the Tokyo Dome of some sort of space bullshit movie Look, it looks akin to Star Wars but basically the point is they hit it big yeah. Uh, and then we jump way ahead in time. And it's now 1997. And uh, we get just a, a brief glimpse uh, as to what's going on in other parts of the company. Um, it, as it turns out, uh, Ueno, uh, Kubo's like college crush, uh, she leaves Kanda, the person who ousted him. And we get to see him like crumpled on the floor of like the boardroom looking crestfallen. And she has a little girl with her. So apparently they had a, they popped out a kid at some point. But point is, Kubo Kubo not only won, he destroyed his antagonist. I guess who was never really much of an antagonist. But it's not enough that I should. It's not enough that I should succeed. Others should fail. There you go, <laughs> America. <laughs> um, and then we jump ahead again to 1999, and now we're in like the the we're in the end game now, essentially. Um, not quite, but uh, Otaku Otaku Land in Tokyo opens, and there are a ton of references here. Uh, I, again, too numerous to count. Tons of anime characters, tons of cosplayers and stuff. There's a giant mech in the center of Otaku Land that makes me think of the Gunbuster, which is again a Gainax production. Uh, I think it came out a few years after this, though, so it's probably not entirely based off of it. Um, and then Kubo runs out onto the, this platform, like surveying the crowd, and he declares himself the Ota King. So now he is finally the very best that ever was. And uh, we get another title card, and I believe the last of the portrait of Notaku. Uh, the title card reads September 13th, 1999, nuclear waste explosion on the moon. And it needs to be said, this film came out in 1991 so 1999 this title card is obviously bullshit (laughs) yeah and i i don't know of any nuclear waste explosions that happened on the moon in 1999 um in our last portrait of an otaku uh, uesaka hidehiko part of the film crew um so it turns out that uh, there was a secret otaku embedded with the documentary crew um somehow they find him out uh, so this sequence is shot like hidden camera style and uh we get like on-screen text telling like putting us in context here where uh we're we start out on the inside of a van 
uh, and we're driving alongside uh, this crew member and he's coming out of a uh, like a cell smuggler meeting they call it so they're driving alongside him and they're conspicuous as all hell <laughs> like they're they're loud they're in a big van with lights and blaring like shooting out all the windows and they run up on him and he wants nothing to do with them Mm-mm. in fact like he gets a little bit physical with them when they start trying to like question like what's in the bag what's in the bag as as you know most people would do if if they got approached by a camera crew on the street um and then we cut to 2035 and we're actually like in the end game proper and uh, you want to walk us through this closing scene here kyle uh yeah so the world is a lot of the world is underwater at this point um we have uh our kobu i forgot his name kubo 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 sorry uh kubo and tanaka they have aged quite a bit and they are walking underwater and they're headed towards otaku land and they're kind of just chatting like yeah this was awesome this was a great thing that we built um and then out comes they're like going towards the entrance and uh, out comes homegirl their uh their friend and she's super young like she's very youthful and she's like come on in guys we've been waiting for you and they get into otaku land and everybody goes young again like they're all how they were at the beginning of the film and they're in some kind of uh, what's the is it gundam is that uh mm. the it's not it's not that but it's yeah. something along if it, it felt like something along those lines or like a transformer um, it's a giant giant mech giant robot yeah um yeah, and they uh, they get in and they blast off to space. Yeah, and... uh, they take off their helmets, which it needs to be said their their diving gear are are actually cosplay, so they're not wearing like diving suits. They're wearing like the one guy's wearing something from uh, Gundam, I know for sure, and then the other one I couldn't rem- I couldn't actually recognize what spacesuit it was, but the one was definitely from Gundam. Mm. Uh, but they, when they take off their helmets, uh, their youth is restored. So. I don't know if this this is supposed to be some sort of trippy dream sequence or something, um, but yeah, uh, the mech transforms into a space shuttle. Uh, the the top of it, uh, the nose cone turns into a, a drill. Uh, reminded me of the was it the Gotengo I think from the movie Atragon. It's a from Toho Studios, the same studio that makes all the Godzilla movies. Mm. They made a movie about like it's like an undersea empire versus a flying submarine. It's pretty fucking badass <laughs> um but yeah they take to the stars and then we get a final title card like saying may 15th 2035 the launch of the fifth generation space spaceship eltrium uh and then credits yeah. and uh yeah that is otaku no video uh, part one and two uh, which i believe the title for the second episode is is just a uh, <laughs> more otaku no video 1985 yeah yeah <laughs> this is cute um, but yeah, Kyle, what'd you think of this? That was informative. Uh, if I was gonna get into anime, um, if I had no experience whatsoever, this would be a good jumping-off point. Um, from the other stuff that I've seen that you've had me watch, this is um, this isn't great. Uh, the there's not the story's very like very unconventional from what I'm what I've been exposed to so far. Very, very. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it was informative. Um, if you already have if you're already into anime i don't see a need for this movie at all really 
Um, maybe as if you're if you are familiar with this studio, you or if you're a fan of this studio, you might find this interesting. Um, but yeah, other than that, if you if you're wanting to get into anime, this would be a good jumping on good jumping off point. Yeah, I, that was my intention in having it be the start to anime August. It's because you know you don't have the most extensive background in the medium, and I felt like this would give you like some insight into like the cultural context, like what what this stuff means to the people who make it kind of mm-hmm. um a couple of notes here that definitely need to be said um so this came out in 1991 and uh there was the timing of the release of this was kind of important um i feel like there was an inciting incident that kind of got the ball rolling on this production so there was a serial killer in japan uh i can't remember exactly when he was apprehended but i think i think everything started in like 1988 which would make sense with the timeline for this anime um but his name was tomu miyazaki and i'm sure there is there are dozens of true crime podcasts out there that have probably covered this guy so go ahead and look those up if you're interested um but he he murdered like four girls and he practiced like necrophilia cannibalism and vampirism uh he did some awful things and the th- the big thing about his situation though was that when when he was apprehended uh, the media the media portrayal of him as a person um really played up the fact that he was obsessed with anime so he was an otaku and the uh like the vhs collector that we saw in otaku no video that was basically his living situation so the media really played that up and it at the time it kind of created like a really anti-anime sentiment among the general public so like public perception of otaku and people who were interested in anime was at maybe an all-time low like it's it's never it's never been a mainstream thing it never ever will be probably it's to this day still kind of a fringe thing because fanaticism is that like that's the nature of it um but at the time this this particular animation was produced was a time when uh, people people were asking a lot of questions as to like the character of of the people who are into these kinds of things like is this dangerous like should i keep my kids from being exposed to this i think uh, so i think it was important that this was made when it was probably i i would parallel that with um marilyn manson in the united states um very 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 outspoken anti-christian message in his music especially in the 90s and then when columbine happened um those kids were referenced to being Marilyn Manson fans, and he was under a lot of uh, a lot of scrutiny after that. And actually, Michael Moore—I think he was—Michael uh, Moore interviewed him for Bowling for Columbine, uh-huh. and actually talked about him. So they're like, "Oh, yeah, it was Marilyn I- Manson's causing all these problems?" He's like, "No, that's that's not the problem." And he's very intelligent too, and he just he sends it right back. Um, but it, there, I guess there probably wasn't a platform like like that in uh, Japan at the time, especially for this medium. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. That pretty much exactly parallels that. Um, and yeah, another note is that, um, like I said, at some point uh, during the episode, uh, Gynax started out as uh, two different companies, uh, General Products, uh, which produced garage kits, and then Daikon, which uh, curiously enough was a small animation house that created opening animation cinematics for a convention of the same name so they made 
so daikon made videos for daikon <laughs> um which by the way you you really ought to look those those videos up uh, they made two of them uh they're of i think they're no more than seven minutes long but they're just these really lovely little animations um that are made by really big nerds who who love the things they love and uh that's kind of the company philosophy at gainax as far as i understand they're not so much about like reinventing the wheel or like pushing pushing the barriers of storytelling it's more just like we like this shit <laughs> it's yeah. like we love this shit um but yeah uh thanks thanks so much for uh, catching up on otaku no video uh next week we're going to be jumping into ghost in the shell uh, yeah. mamoru oshii's classic from 1995 it's a it's one of the titans of the medium uh not a personal favorite of mine, but for mm. educational value, I thought that Kyle would get a lot out of it, which is why we're doing it. Um, so on that note, again, thank you for listening, um, and we'll catch you next week. Yeah.